morning, universe. I ain't kidding. I am Mad Christian, and this is the Saturday morning chill. You got to stick. <laughs> every time, every single time. I'm even missing the button right now. Hold on, I can do this. I can do this live. It almost sounded cool. So we're not doing the music this morning because uh, we have some cool back scene stuff happening there, which will make music a reality in the future. Until then, uh, stick around. We're about to get this show going. Lots of stuff from you in studio, including Psalm 68, Mountain of Bashan, Many Peaks. What? Gaslight, Babel, On, Curse, Allotland. That's where we live. Good morning, universe. Are you ready to be raised from the dead? Have you decided that this place is in fact a veil of tears? Is in fact the valley of the shadow of, I don't want to be here anymore. Can Jesus please come back? Are you with me? Are you with me? Because I'll tell you what, I've decided, I've decided one of these th- three things has to be true. One of these three things has to be true. Either, either Christ our Lord is coming back any moment, any day now, because it's gotten so bad. I mean, really, how bad could it get beyond this um, starvation and mass, whatever, you know, I, I guess it could get worse than it is. Yet it seems really bad if you care about the four-year cycle of the media nation that we live in. In any case, so either he's coming back because of that, or he could come back because no one's expecting him. That, that might happen too. But then there's these two other options, right? One is that we're in the so-called little season which is like we're getting ready for him to come back, but it won't be a while still. There's going to be persecution. So if you're like a preacher of rapture person, you don't think that's what this is yet. You think we're like before this, I think, uh, before the, tr- the rapture is going to happen, right? But but for those of us who are not preacher of rapturists, uh, there are some who still, as Amillennials teach, teach like a little season of Satan and that, you know, that he will be unleashed upon the earth to deceive the nations for a certain amount of time after a millennium. And depending on how you want to count Christendom as your millennium, I guess you kind of have a Britannia thing going, you know, Rome, Britannia, uh, where'd it go, Western Civ, Men of the West thing going. Um, I don't know if I buy that as biblical, right? As biblical. It's, it's a nice story. Gondor would be a great place to live, not during the story, but <laughs> after the story's over. Uh, so, but is it a little season of Satan right now? Are we like especially able to be deceived at this moment at a, as different than at a time otherwise in history? Right. And for me personally, what's made me really ask this question is the question of how unique is this television thing? Right. Like tell you what to view, tell you what to think, tell you what to see television. I don't care what you call it. Matrix. Uh, you know, how how new is this and how powerful is this for deceiving the nations or, or were they doing fine being deceived before? And what this one's good for is deceiving Christians. Well, that's an interesting thought in and of itself. But. In any case, so either in the little season or either any day now, Jesus is going to come back, right? Or, or uh, there are many, many generations of this, mostly like this, until he comes back. And even though sometimes it might be summer and the bumper crop is on the way, as as the sayings go, uh, uh, sometimes winter is coming. Uh, and always winter is is coming. And if you believe in a atheistic worldview, uh, George R. R. Martin's style, I can't even finish the epic, I'll just die and leave my hero dead, worldview, nihilism, rot large. Yeah, If you believe in that, winter is coming is pretty terrifying. I, I suppose the singularity is an important thing to be hoping in right now, right? I mean, if you're really taking it seriously and watching, unless you're Dan Carlin, I got to tell you, Dan, 
I used to, I, I still love Dan Carlin, I think, but I can't listen to his common sense anymore because there's nothing common or sensical about it. And it's not because I like Trump. For pity's sakes, I don't like the man. I never have. And yet you put me in their camp by your positions, Mr. Carlin. You say you're in the middle and you are not. You won't even talk to me. You're yelling at me by the end of the show. As if I stand for these ridiculous things. As if I'm Buffalo Soldier's backup? You gotta be kidding me. Dan Carlin's common sense. Don't even listen anymore. His hardcore history, I can still recommend. But goodness gracious, if we're going to go on for many, many years on this planet, Dan Carlin's hardcore history is something you should listen to because it's going to tell you what people are like when they're not ruled by Christian law. Uh, Islamic law doesn't do horrible, and Jewish law is better as well than pure barbarianism. But pure barbarianism, it's rough. It's rough. It can be really good a generation, and then it's rough because what happens is nobody cares. They just conquer. Now, Dan Carlin lives in the world where he believes this is impossible. This will never come back to these shores. I'm young enough to not believe that's impossible because I grew up in the 80s, and I saw what's happened since then. And even though you can say, well, I grew up in the 1920s and all the change in this last century, you don't even know. I tell you, you ain't watching like I am. You weren't raised on what's it talking about now and what it used to say and what it's saying now. You plugged in? It's scary. It's scary, the lies they tell and the way that we just go along with it. The way that we just assume, oh yeah, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV, so buy this medicine. It's experimental, but you can sign off on it. It might help you live longer in a lot of pain and the side effects that we don't tell you about. I mean, that's just one little reason why I don't want to hear it anymore. I really don't. I don't want to have to waste my time discerning the lies. There's just too many of them. Just too many. Why would you let anybody who you cannot hold personally accountable talk to you? I've asked you this before. Why are you letting me talk to you? Why'd you sit down in front of this blue screen on a beautiful winter morning? <laughs> it's winter here. It's snow. Um, but I know. Why are you sitting down in front of a blue screen? Honestly. Now, I hopefully, hopefully in this case, it's because you know that I'm going to tell you about how dangerous this stupid thing is. Uh, and that I'm also going to try to give you uh, some real meat for real spirituality, real, real battle, real, real war uh, with your religion, Christianity, right? But in this then, so then we have to take the position that Dan Carlin's hardcore history view of history is actually right. The ivory tower that wants to sit up and say we've reached a pinnacle of Hegelian synthesis and it will not return, um, they're not aware of the French Revolution, apparently, and other things like it that are Genghis Khan. I mean, you call it black swan, call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, all it takes is the snap of a finger and for the divine wind that every society ever, including the Bible, knows changes history with wars that come out of nowhere and surprise people or losses in wars that shouldn't have. All it takes is for the Lord to snap his fingers and it all changes. And there's no reason why we who are Christians in the United States of America should believe that a country semi-founded on saying we are Christians after having completely abandoned that and gone full on into hog worship and all craziness is going to be allowed to stand. That's just not how the Bible works, right? I'm not voting for this. I'm not voting for any of this. I'm not telling you this because I like it. I'm telling you because either any day now Jesus is going to come back or we're in a particular little season of Satan, which is really interesting, although I just don't buy it exegetically, or we should act like we got generations to go and we're guaranteed to be here because Jesus says he's going to build his church. And so if you're a Christian, you're going to, you're going to be here. You're going to have kids that are going to be here. They're going to want to go to church and hear the truth from the Bible taught to them in a language they can understand in their vernacular, in their common tongue. 
That's going to get more difficult, I think, especially as pastors get fewer and further between, as money gets scarcer, as the so-called middle class in America, a great, didn't they used to call them white lies? I think it is. A, a great white lie about, you know, a space between the elites and the serfs. Now you're just, you're just rich serfs for the moment. Um, <laughs> for the moment. As that continues to happen, none of that really, in the end of the day, matters to me. I was listening to Elon Musk I mean, it does, but it doesn't for this reason. I was listening to Elon Musk in a fireside chat on the Intellectual Dark Web podcast. First podcast I've listened to in weeks. I've been, I've been on like hermit mode. Me and the Proverbs and some other, you know, paper. Um, but I, I, I came out of the, uh, the hole, the, the cave, uh, in order to uh, run some errands yesterday and go to uh, pay respects, in fact, at a, to a brother in the area who has gone to be with our Lord. Um, and, uh, along the way, I, I listened to the podcast, and oh, Elon Musk fires the chat. Well, that sounds interesting. It really, it really was interesting. But in all the things he was talking about, one thing that stood out was why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, so for Tesla, his whole point with Tesla is, is like he likes cars, he likes electric cars, like no problem. The idea of electric cars is cool, but what he really wants is to create a new sector of more clean energy with regard to transportation. He wants clean transportation. And so he saw the money he had made out of PayPal as his own toy to try to move civilization toward cleaner transport transportation. You know, I can't really fault the guy on this. I think that's, that's literally philanthropy. Like that is humanitarianism as a religion. And I think his singularity pursuit is probably the same kind of thing. I, I think this is really democratic pantheism. I'll talk more about that some other time. Uh, you know, Bombaro brought that up a couple weeks ago. Um, it's a really great idea to, to pursue, but he is seeing history as one who believes that his place in history matters. Okay. Uh, he believes that having all this money, he can do something now for humanity that will make humanity have a better future in such a way, in such a way that it will be uh, remembered or worth it. His sacrifice, will, it will be worth it. He, he sees himself in some ways then as an atoner, right? And a savior. And I don't, I don't think any of that's wrong. I think there's, there's a, a beautiful duty and virtue in that that every barbarian knows at heart he must do. He, he really should not just go licentious. Things won't go well, and he can observe that with anybody's, anybody's wisdom if he just watches. In any case, so the thing is, for me, when I'm talking about like being here, you know, another 500 years as Christians in America, right, in Illinois, in Rockford, and that's really what I'm thinking about. It's like, how would we do this? I mean, we should believe it's possible, shouldn't we? Why do we think it's all going to close? You know, can't we just kind of work our way through this and stop worshiping wooden stone? I mean, maybe some people can't, but, but I think we can. But but the reason would not be to, like, change history. And the reason would not be to, like, make the mark on the human move toward progress. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's the belief that there is no move toward human progress. Whether or not there's going to come another flood to wash away all the information of the internet, not by water, but by some other manner, that doesn't destroy all life, but makes it really hard for a while, um, doesn't matter. There is no progress toward a better world that isn't run by Christians. If you want to believe in a premillennial system in which we're going to stand here and be good Christians until Jesus like actually lets us rule in goodness for a while and then he returns, like I think you're probably wrong. But then again, I don't know why you're wrong in terms of we shouldn't try to live well and good and virtuous and all that kind of thing. Um, but but uh, even then, you just got to acknowledge that's not where, we at, where we're at right now. Like, that's not the blessing we're about to receive as a country. Uh, as a country, we are about to find uh, what happens. Just what happens when things aren't done well, period. 
Uh, when, when the moral is don't push your morality on me, and that goes two generations down, right? Uh, that, that ends up rough. So I'm actually praying for this to be true. And the reason is because I think it is such a tremendous opportunity for Christianity. It's such a tremendous opportunity for Christianity. I don't even think it's an opportunity. I think it's the election of Christianity as a new light. I think that the Enlightenment has been a dark ages. I think that modernism is a completely failed experiment and idea. I think that Descartes, I think therefore I am, is egocentric poppycock. And I think that it's about to fall apart before our eyes over a couple of hundred years. And I think that a wise Christian who knows that he doesn't rest on ego or on ration, but instead upon scripture, if he with his family, and preferably with a couple other families who are under the guidance of a shepherd slash pastor, believe what the scriptures say right now and just work together. The Lord is going to prepare them to be an ark wherever they are, a place of refuge, a community, a holy people. They might not even need to have a building, although it does help, of course. But to assume you need the building is, again, to, to, to look at it wrong, to think that your place in history is special as opposed to being holy, right? As opposed to being what Christ has made you where you are, yeah? Which means possibly given over to fire for the sanctifying of the land. And I, I'm not an old covenant guy. I'm not going to make you get circumcision, you know, done in, in that kind of way. But I'm pretty sure all that blood guilt stuff wasn't just an idea for fun. I was just like, well, let me teach them how much I love them. So let me introduce the metaphor of blood guilt and human sacrifice and atoning payment and all that stuff, right? Um, and by human sacrifice, yeah, Christ the Lord. Um, so uh, anyway, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the world. Uh, I don't even, and I don't think we're near things like, you know, I heard Dan, War Dan Carlin's again, like, who's wrong about civil war? People talking about civil war, really, un un it's not right of them to do that. But Dan, you're talking about it now, and you're saying I'm a, I'm I'm the I'm the one causing it. I, Dan, did you drink the Kool Aid? Are are you an elitist? I don't know. I don't know. It's all who you listen to, right? And that's the fragmentation issue. It's a different topic. But I think we are in for slow generational impoverishment. Put your thinking cap on, boys and girls. Welcome to Saturday morning cartoons. Your future is slow generational impoverishment by means of inflation and debt. Bill Nye the science guy won't tell you about this one. No, because dinosaurs. Yeah. But what happens is this. What happens is this. You're told, come to the land of the free where there are no serfs. They've even gotten rid of slavery. Come here. There's no such thing. We'll just change your name. Take away your community over the course, culturally, over the course of a generation by means of a magical tool that everybody needs to use called a media. You got to plug in the media somehow, some way. There's no way to avoid it. You can't make money if you don't. And once you do all this, by the way, you're also plugged into that debt cycle called the dollar because the dollar is not money in the sense of old world money. It's money in the sense of debt, which is a story told by enlightenment bankers in order to keep the world running according to their schedule. The problem is not that it doesn't work sometimes and in some places. It clearly has for a good century or so. Well, I don't even, can't quite say that. Gold standard's not that far gone. I'm not saying go back to the gold standard. But what I'm saying is that the story about the American dollar and its value is precisely that, a story. It's backed up by what? The story's backed up by the United States, which cannot fall. It's a pillar and archon of sacred halls of buffalo guys and LARPing and people who can't run their own stuff and the gradual disintegration of our cities under 
rioting because probably some bad stuff, actually, at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> so money, debt, right? The, the, the Federal Reserve System, regardless if you want to go John Birch on it, what it is is a story about value. And what happens historically with these things is something called inflation. And every economics class is going to talk about it. They all talk about it as normal. Well, it's normal if you're going to live with made-up money, especially. Or if you're going to try to control it and have total sovereignty over it, as opposed to have real value have to be exchanged in real time. Now, there again, there's advantages to credit. I'm not saying I'm like against credit, although usury did seem to be problematic. What I am saying is you need to understand that if you're living in debt in America today, you are not living free. That's where you got to get on this. Right, So that working with money to begin with, I use American dollars on American land, I pay it with American taxes, I am not free. So that's fine. I'm an indentured servant of those who are free who make the decisions way up high. And yeah, that's a big leap, but really there's only two classes, so just get used to it. It's not that bad. The indentured servitude we have in the United States is way better, way better than like the low serfdom in many other countries. Right? If, you can, if you can hear me speak English and you understand, you have so many advantages to your serfdom right now. Serfdom is part of life. It really is. You must be subservient to somebody and even the elites are bowing down to something. Right? So don't, don't pretend like you're never going to kneel. Uh, I mean, just because you'd rather sit back and put your feet up before the idol who speaks to you and tells you how all things must be doesn't mean you're not kneeling. Yeah? Uh, you're going to kneel one way or the other. So... What we need to do then is own this, that the common people, as Dr. Luther used to call them in the age of the Reformation, are not a bad thing to have the fact that you don't own everything everywhere and can't move freely everywhere all the time because you just are God. Like, that's okay. I'm not advocating giving up my rights as an American citizen. Please don't hear me saying that. I'm all for standing firm and declaring what we say, whether local government's going to be your best tool in this. But what I am saying is that there's no way you're going to fight generational impoverishment. You're not going to fight it. Uh, now, what am I? Am I prophesying? No, 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 no. What I'm suggesting is it's possible. It's possible for the stock exchange to stop working. And if it does, um, they will not stop printing money. They will not stop letting everything work. Uh, they won't even let you know that it broke. <laughs> uh, they're just going to go ahead and continue to water down, to inflate that dollar, making you believe, right? Making you believe that things are getting better with an economy that appears to be growing while all the while the buying power of the dollar goes away. Now, you can go search into more of that if you want to try to stop it. I don't think we can stop it. What I want us as Christians to do is get ready to not be world-traveling elitists. Just because we got a little taste of it for a time. And to maybe realize that getting a taste of it for a time was wasting our time. These texts about using mammon uh, to make friends for yourself in paradise, they give Lutherans a lot of trouble. We don't like good works. I mean, we do. Don't get me wrong. Lutherans are pretty good people. I mean, we're, our consciences are like constantly attacking us. Like, I, I shouldn't do that. to be wrong, right? It's always, always, okay? So, <laughs> like, even when it's right, like, I feel bad. Like, I maybe could have thought it wrongly, right? And this is, I think, part of our pedagogy uh, that, that does this. But Lutherans have a problem with talking about good works because we're afraid you might think we're saying you're saved by them, right? And and uh, Lutherans, if you're listening, you know this is true. Pastors, you know this is true. You can never just say do something. You always got to have a caveat about the gospel on it. And this is uh, probably more dealing with our homiletical history and Seminex and the ghosts of Seminex, if you know what any of that is, than with our attentive study of the scriptures and the dogmatics, not the preaching of Luther, clearly. Uh, otherwise, things would be very, very different in the way we approach all this. 
But the point being, again, uh, what we've one of the things we've lost then in not being biblical preachers <laughs> as a whole, but instead being homiletical preachers or camerites is maybe the word I would use. Um, dogmatic preachers, uh, pattern preachers, uh, one trick pony uh, law gospel preachers, as if law gospel were a dichotomy, as if it were a dichotomy. It's not a dichotomy. Um, it is. It is a revelation. It's a particularly glorious light. It is a distinction. The assumption that a distinction is a dichotomy is why Einstein's wrong. We won't go into that right now. That's that's a bit that's a bit tangential. Um, <laughs> but really, uh, equivalization in linguistics, particularly in theology, particularly, is not a good idea. Right? There are things that are truly evil, and there are things that are truly good, but humans born and baptized into Jesus are stuck, unable to tell the difference a lot of the time, <laughs> uh, even in our own selves, right? So it shouldn't be so surprising. Um, now, again, what I want to talk about now is, can we get on the conversation about that there is no way to avoid, in 30 or 40 years from now, the overall general reality of American buying capacity with the dollar and then the average next generation down having a higher standard of living than the one that came before them, can we get on board with that ain't gonna happen? And that this idea that land makes money just by sitting there every 10 years or so, um, that ain't quite right either. The way that one works is like every century, right? So if you're selling it, when it's going up and down, up and down, and you're not waiting for the big down just to buy it, never use it, and, and then you know wait to big up and never sell it. Just rent it. Right? Unless you're doing that, you're not going to make money on land. <laughs> you got to be a lord if you want to make money on land. And uh, that's just not in our blood as Americans, or it's not in our ideology. Uh, probably not in our ideology as Americans, in our, in our patriotism, uh, whatever that might mean. Oh, again, that reminds me of, of the Common Sense Dan Carlin episode. He, he taken uh, Ashley. Uh, you know, he's just like, he just, he just doesn't believe there's any possibility he's wrong about anything. Now, here, here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, is that me? Yeah. No, I really do. I, I could be wrong about all of this. That's, that's kind of the point. Um, so if I'm in a conversation with Dan Carlin again, it's like, Dan, 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 Dan. I, I don't disagree that there's a lot of wrong things on the right. Can you talk about the left too? Since you say you are, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm silly. I just couldn't believe it. It's like, dude, if you're going to be middle, be middle. I don't claim to be middle. I'm not middle. I'm a Christian. I have to stand on certain things that I cannot change. And so when they move the goalposts, as they do in politics, um, I got to stay where I am. So apparently I'm all right. I didn't even, I like Harry Potter. How can I be all right? I don't understand. I wrote books for people to make them happy. I don't get it. Anyway, that's the world we live in. And it, what I'm going to say again is, it doesn't matter to me that they can cancel that. It doesn't matter to me that they can take all of that away. It doesn't matter to me that they can flate away whatever wealth I've managed to stockpile or that they can come and actually eventually seize my land, not so much by seizing it, but by you know making riots happen <laughs> uh, and then having the value go down and nothing's open and I can't afford to keep my little place there anymore and the big stuff comes in and buys it. I mean, how is Amazon going to get into New York? I mean, really, how is it going to happen? I mean, do the math. It's ain't conspiracy theory. Dan was all, golly. Okay, this is what got me. Is he was all up on conspiracy theory. So, like, if you have any intimation that there's that there was voter fraud anywhere, anywhere, ever, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, that's not common sense. That's not common sense. 
it's common sense to know there's voter fraud all the time everywhere. What's not common sense is to think that there's no voter fraud. Or that if you're not watching the watchers and the watchers, right? And, and the fact that you think the votes are going to work and actually bring about a peaceable king. I mean, this is, this is also nonsense, uh, biblically speaking. <laughs> uh, but all that aside, all that aside, what I'd rather do than try to make the case that we're in for generational impoverishment, I'd rather assume that's normal in history because it is. And then, uh, you know, the lords take advantage of the people under unless they have good lords and you should pray for good lords. Really? I mean, when was the last time you did? Um, getting ready to be a strong village when there's a bad lord is pretty key, I think. And if a congregation is anything, it's a village that already exists. It just has started to think of itself as a sh- like a coffee shop or a book shop that sells yoga where you don't stretch. And you have to be like us to come here. You gotta like our music. Both kinds. <laughs> you know? So, mm, getting ready uh, to, to care a little more about uh, surviving as a people as opposed to having our programs. Now, I say this at the same time that I think, I think we're headed back toward normal in America. Now, get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm way out ahead on this. I'm calling this like three months. So in, I, I think in three weeks, you're going to smell it. And then in three months, you're going to see, a, I don't want to say masks are off in Illinois yet, but I'm calling it 50-50. We go either way. We're going to be so back to normal. They want us to be so happy. We're going to, they're going to gaslight us completely out of the pandemic. Um, it's just got to, it's got to stay there. It's not gone, right? You need because the vaccine agenda is an agenda. You should look into it. It's, it's nuts, actually. Uh, it's old, old agenda. Um, anyway, the, you know, that's not going to go away. But for the moment, I mean, unity, this, I think Dan was right about this, you know, Biden's message, unity, unity, unity. Because what else are you going to say right now? I mean, even if you don't really mean it, because you know you can't, because there's no way you want them to unify with you because they're, you know, you're, you're, you need them to do violent things so you can point at them now and say they're worse than Antifa, right? You need 1970 and all those bombings that Nixon talks about in his memoirs that Dan talked about, which I was, that's why I listened to Common Sense. Ah, but then he, mm, anyway. We need to be villages prepared to endure financial hardship together. Does that mean holding everything in common and becoming communist Christians? No. Does that mean every rich person has to stop being rich? No. It just means, like right now, we should start thinking about the possibility that we can't go away, so we should stop being afraid of going away, but that we have to continue to sacrifice to stay here. And so we should keep working on getting better at that before it's done at the point of a sword. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, did that, did that all line up for you? I, I felt like it lined up for me, right? Um, I feel like it lined up for me now. I, I don't know to go on from here. I want to get to your questions and stuff. Yeah, we can leave that for another time. That'll maybe come up later. Yeah. It'll maybe come up later. Um, I'm gonna take a one minute break here get a little bit of water to drink and then come on back for your questions. Bible answers and definitely my opinion translation in the middle, but that's why you got the sidebar to call me out when I'm wrong because the internet, it never lies, right? Be right back. All right. So, so I mentioned a moment ago why I think the wind's going to change in the pandemic. I should, I should back that up a little bit. Um, the reason for that is because of the World Health Organization releasing, releasing new, um, measures, new, new quotas, um, new ways of deciding what is positive COVID deaths and what is not. 
and those will take a couple weeks to come into like play, but the result of these very publicly released new recommendations will be many, many, many fewer COVID cases. Um, probably won't impact the deaths too much since, so far as I've been able to see it, they've been very stable and perhaps also connected to other comorbidities, including flu season, which has magically not happened this year, um, according to the news uh, and whatnot. So again, I know Dan Carlin, I'm only listening to the wrong people and not you and only the people you listen to, but goodness gracious. Um, that's why I think that we're going to head back toward normal. I, and I think they're going to do it slow enough that most of the American public just glad to get back to normal and doesn't say, Hey, what happened? And why are we all now have to be on vaccines every quarter? No one's going to ask that, right? And it's because it won't be all, but it will be some. And all they want is the foot in the door. Um, now, is that the whole thing planned? I'm not saying that. It doesn't have to be that. Uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. One of the most important biblical lessons I ever learned from a raging liberal who learned it from a, a raging Reagan conservative. Um, <laughs> and you don't let a good crisis go to waste. The crisis is a gift from God. It's a gift from God for you to seize righteousness. Never let it go to waste. You know, let let the fact that the world is burning be your joy. That's that's what the Bible says. Um, so anyway, and it's hard. I know. I get it. I, I didn't, didn't say it was easy. Um, you got to train yourself on that, right? You got to get a little mental control. Got to stop letting the box tell you how to think. Sit down and tell yourself how to think. Like a mirror works. A pen and paper works really well too. Yeah. Right down. Like I think this and I think that and then tomorrow look at it again because it's amazing how much you forget in a day like where the microphone is you forget that right and then you just swing your head around I'm gonna talk about what Matt has to say here Matt says this he says I was oh do you like our new background everybody I know the listeners can't you know audio listeners can't hear it but I, I made the comment last week about all the uh the, the floral colors and first it came up as really cool background which is great all right so here we go it, it, for those who are listening it looks like an amazing old world place that nonetheless has a potential podcast image upcoming with uh, Meredith and I stop the white noise um, thrown in. We have recorded an episode. The question is to figure out what the, what the path for that one is. But some of you may remember long, long back Meredith and I did like a 44 hour conversation on parenting and this will be kind of that. It definitely will engage in that, but stop the white noise is in the works. And uh, anyway, that's, that's the picture stuff. Just talking about there. Matt says this, uh, I was talking with a very faithful Lutheran pastor and he said that in acts, Matthias was chosen through disciples casting lots because prayerfully casting lots is one way God answers temporal questions. Now I was right. I was with you right up to because, and after because I'm not unable to affirm the result is in fact true. However, I'm not sure I would say it the way you said it. Um, and so I, I don't know if that's how particularly your pastor said it, that I would say that, you know, it's because casting lots is what God wants us to do because it always works. So trust it. Well, I mean, yes, but not the way you're thinking. And so, so I'll kind of come back to that. Okay. Um, the idea that God answers questions through casting lots seems strange to me, almost like bordering on breaking the second commandment. We may not use witchcraft, lie, or deceive in his name. Um, which, yes, witchcraft, witchcraft. What does that mean? Uh, that's worth a complete different tangent. It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things today that if you went back to the Middle Ages, they'd, they'd be like, wow, sorcerers, look at those sorcerers. And you'd be like, no, this is just normal stuff, right? So what is the rule? Biblically on, on divination, yeah? It's a good question to ask. And then, I mean, is rolling dice to get a perfect answer 
divination. And I'm going to go ahead and say, like, probably in, in many cases. Now, you do have this Old Testament thing here. You can say, I look through the Old Testament, and it does look like God answers temporal questions of the faithful. So this, this thing called the Uman and the Thurman, which uh, they didn't tell us much about a seminary. I don't know why not. I, I increasingly am so thankful for the linguistics and the dogmatics courses at seminary. And then the substance, I'm just wondering, like, why? Why aren't we talking about these things? The Uman and the Thurman seems like a pretty potent reality to me, unless we're just going to dismiss it like modernists and say it was just lucky the whole time or some weird thing. But the fact is, we don't have much biblical text about it that says, this is what it did, this is how it works. It instead is like, well, they used it. And it was from Moses and things like that, mostly, probably. God, God, definitely, right? And it was, it was, God does it all the time. Now, the question is, can the apostles then, not can, win the apostles then uh, do this with Matthias to fulfill the office of, of Judas? Well, here, here's your kind of two-forking-way question. Uh, were they right or they wrong? Is Paul a replacement for Judas or is Matthias? Now, the church historically recognizes Matthias in his ministry, so I don't think we should not recognize him in that regard. But when Peter quotes that text, about Matthias is before the Holy Spirit has fallen on Peter. You know that, uh, and and so you know uh, Paul slash Saul's arising to take the place of the man of blood um, also fits right. So the more you have like tree branches of possible different meanings coming out of something, that's where like the harder it gets to say. Therefore, because and we must forever, uh, unless you have some other kind of other text to back this up, which says do this right and and it we don't so okay that's why i'm uncomfortable with the way you've said it even though there's something very true here that you need to grab on to and never let go of so again i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep coming through this um uh so matt goes on however in my mind it seems dangerous and we could easily fall into the idolatry of fatalism and it raises a bunch of questions to me so fatalism i find that interesting that that's the one you're worried about is is fatalism fatalism is good news man <laughs> like, I don't think the Bible teaches fatalism. I think it teaches divine election. And there, there is a difference between the two. And I'm not going to go off on that today either. But I'll tell you that if you're going to compare divine election, fatalism, and free will with each other, you want fatalism all the way, man. You really do. I mean, it's your only hope. <laughs> it's your only hope. You know, if it's free will, you're done. You're just done. Uh, so, you know, to be afraid of fatalism as if it's the equivalent of idolatry, the idolatry is to refuse to believe in fatalism at all. You think you can do something. Huh? So fatalism is more like a despair that might occur after one knows one is not elect. But since that's not how election works, there's no real way for fatalism to actually exist so far as Christianity is concerned. Like people can say they're fatalists or whatever, but we're just like, no, you're not. Like you're rejecting Jesus Christ, uh, but he has elected you to salvation. You are saved now. And like, no, I'm not. I'm like, well, I guess you're not then. Okay. But, but that's not, you know, that's not fatalism. That's election. And that's not idolatry. That is what happens to idolaters, right? Is that they would maybe say something like, um, I believe in fatalism, and so your God would choose me, and I'd believe no matter what, even though what you're saying is going to make me believe, but I don't want to believe it, so it's your God's fault anyway, therefore I'm a fatalist and you're wrong, right? Like, like, take a breath, man. Like, you're on the internet too much, man. Like, maybe, maybe the idea that God is foreknowing of all things and presciently planning salvation of all good things while also planning condemnation of all bad things um, is just a marvelous mystery. But certainly, every page of it is written in his book, and Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. So let's not run away out of this fear of, it looks like if God answers questions with rolling dice, therefore everything is written ahead of time. 
you got to live in the realization, pre-modern, pre-modern, don't be a modern equivocator, right? <laughs> that everything is written ahead of time and you still act fully and willfully without any slavery or binding or compelling of anyone except your own, usually D-A-M-N-E-D, I mean it, YouTube self. So, issues, etc. goes on, Matt says, uh, Thy will be done, points out that God leaves a lot of these lesser choices up to our own reason and senses, so why cast lots at all? Is this attempting to discern the hidden will of God? That's the problem, right? Is the, So you realize, oh, if I have something happen, it's always God's will, which is what this is based on. We'll come back to that. But what has passed has been God's providential will. That is, even though there is evil that he did not will, he has so orchestrated all of history to bend it back toward your good in Christ. Because of that, therefore, I'll walk in front of a bus. Therefore, I will use a magic eight ball to make every decision I make because God's in control, right? Well, see, there, <laughs> he wants to be your God and your God didn't say, by the way, and uh, Galatia, when you're done not circumcising each other and baptizing each other instead as infants, because that's that's what we all are doing right now in this early church of ours, uh, make sure you stop reading about our letters and Peter's letters, which are also scripture, and instead form some nice Old Testament-style uh, divination tools uh, of sorts, but holy ones that are not, right? Like, that, that's just not there, okay? And that's the danger in this, is that you're trying to then find in the hidden will, the natural will, the revealed will, which is all, God's will as it happened in, in the past, right? Is revealed as his will then, right? So I have this cup of coffee. This is the revealed will of God now that it has happened, but I'm trying to like use that ahead of time to jump forward and do things with it by superpower in my head with rolling dice, right? Don't do that. That's what's wrong. What is right though is to, I mean, honestly, you can know. You're in a situation where you can't decide anymore. You honestly cannot decide and you're just broken up over it. And you want there to be an answer in history that you'll let even your own unbelief go to hell for. Uh, then fine, flip that coin and take it. And no, yeah, God said that. And because both answers are going to be right, right? You've already studied it. You know both are good things. You just don't want to make the decision. Interesting for someone who says he's not a fatalist to not want to make the decision. But not you particularly, right? But I guess I, I did say that as if it was you. So it's not necessarily you. Um, but uh, why would you be giving up? And this is the issues, et cetera, point a little bit. Why would you give up the sovereignty that the Lord Jesus Christ has baptized you into you as a disciple in his name with the entire scriptures at your fingertips as the evil modern world has given to you and yet the evil modern world has taught you not to read it. Um, you know, it's all there at your fingertips in English, basic English, with colored pictures even, right? For, for you to know why would you need to roll dice? Unless you just are afraid, um, uh, or unless you just you just don't know. So to answer the question, as he goes on, and he says again, was this something that was given by God to relieve the conscience of the people choosing because God was going to bless whatever choice was made anyway, or was God actually answering? So that's kind of where I would say that we are now. Is that if you do this, you roll to make a decision, and I don't I don't have a problem with like I know there are con there are congregations that have built this into their election process, right? So that. Whenever they have someone who's going to be, uh, well, let's just say calling a pastor, they'll put in like five guys and they get all the guys and they, they make sure that they're not, you know, adulterers or whatever, I hope. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then they'll roll dice or whatever. They'll cast lots for just one of those five as part of their call just to let no personalities get too involved in the event to try to avoid pride. I, I don't know that it avoids pride. You know, there's no rules for avoiding pride. But um, 
doing that while it's okay is not something that was given by God to us in order to bless us. But it was in the Old Covenant. And that's where that Uman and Thuman thing evidently, historically, Mosaic Torahly is part of divine temple worship, right? And, and so it had all these blessings. God, as their theocratic, not a king before David, theocratic leader, was there to, in fact, be their judge, be their wise wisdom giver. And apparently they used it from time to time. It would seem it might have been scary. I don't, they had, I don't know what they were doing, but it was a big deal. It had involved the priests and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, So that's what God gave them then. Has he given that to us now? And does the apostles and Acts doing it tell us that that is the case now? I am highly skeptical of that argument. Highly skeptical. Um, Issues, etc. Again, has an episode 0543. Matthias the Apostle points out that the Holy Spirit answers prayer in Acts 124. You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen, which makes it seem that God has a predetermined answer. But wouldn't that be bordering on fatalism? Uh, it, no, it believes... Okay, so this is where it's not fatalism. It believes that God's acting right now. You think you live in a giant clock that God made and left running. That's the modern world's idiotic theism, deism thing. It's deism. But it's pan theistic deism um that god isn't involved like every instant making you breathe okay but the father and now the son as a man with his own brain right incarnate and taken into deity um is doing all of that right now that's not fatalism that if i roll dice jesus makes the decision from before time and in time to have it be what it is for my own good according to his gracious plan by which my bonded to my own sinful damnation will has been also regenerated to die with the life of a new will that's, that's still named me and has the same body involved, same, same head, it seems. And yet, you know, the carnal man is this alternative voice that is, we'll, we'll get, we'll get that later, you know, the, uh, the ghosts of my own flesh uh, attacking, but that is, that is completely separate from the baptized elect person that has come to be right. Who, who, reads the Bible, who believes Jesus is coming again, who loves his family, right? So um, none of that, that God is making all of that, giving all of that, sustaining all of that at all times is fatalism. That's just creation. It's the sustaining of creation. And so if you're going to roll dice on a decision right now about what to do and you're going to trust it because God, okay, it's because you trust God made creation and you believe that it is not chaos, but it is design. And so no matter what, Dice roll happens. It's not chaos, but it is design, and it will in the end work out because Jesus Christ is your God. And at the end of the day, the apostles weren't wrong. I'm not going to say they were wrong to do that. I'm just going to say that maybe after Pentecost, they realized that the old covenant was just going to have a different wineskin than the new, right? Um, maybe. Uh, but it's hard to say that early church was a fascinating place. I mean, how's the guy's brother? Jesus' brother James, who's not an apostle, ends up in charge and really makes the pronouncement by the, you know, Acts chapter 9. He's the one speaking for everybody. Well, that's interesting, right? It's, it was an interesting place. We don't know a lot about it. Um, what we do know is they did not go against each other. And what we know is what we have in the canon of Scripture today, the New Testament, is what they thought. And so there, again, you have the, the pillar and bastion of the truth, and it doesn't say cast lots, right? Um, I would really like to hear your thoughts, says Matt, again, to close up. Um, any additional resources? You know, I don't know that I have any additional resources for you on this one. And I don't want to say that your pastor or, or the pastor you were talking with is is wrong. He's probably advocating for using it to get rid of fights in the congregation, which would not be wrong. So if you got these issues, it means another way to look at it. So you got a, you, your congregation is split. Absolutely split. Down the middle. Pink carpet. 
purple carpet or else I'm leaving or else I'm leaving. Like sense says, okay, let's roll dice and then we're cool, right? Because we all love each other in Jesus, right? Now, sense ain't always what's at work in this stuff, right? But, but that would solve the problem, don't you think? If we could all be like adults about the matter and then realize that God's in charge. So, so that's kind of the positive idea that could come out of that. But I, don't, I really don't recommend it as like personal living day to day. I will say this though. I, okay. The question's after my heart in this way. I have recently, um, I would say scientifically, been experimenting with the idea that chaos does not exist. I've done this in small portion. I, I don't really want to try to actually live in like, space or something. But you know, with in terms of information management, uh, does chaos really exist? And the, the presupposition, this comes out of that Smart Notebooks by, by Lumen, and it comes out of then also just the created order, what I was just saying. The presupposition is that chaos is only a lie. Chaos is only the appearance of chaos, but the designers behind it all. And so even though it, this is Job too, right? Even though it appears to be something this time, bad, uh, it's going to be something else later, good. And that uh, man does not have the ability to divine the meaning of ahead of time. That is what we can't do, right? We have to wait. Even Christ, the prophet, searched diligently until the time came. And then it all made sense, right? Then it all made sense. Um, oh, I'm going to move on. I know there was one more thing I wanted to say out of that, but I'm going to move on. Um, uh, uh, the, oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to remember what it was. So in that then, I've just been more open to mistakes because of doing it with information, like note cards and stuff, and having mistakes turn into good things often enough that I've also had it applied. You can hear me preaching about it. I, said, I think last week I did a little bit um, that the path to uh, Christian gentleness to some extent is to remember that there's no such thing as, as chaos. There's no such thing as a mistake. There's even no such thing as a sin. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, as so far as the end of the world is concerned. Okay. So that whatever just happened, whether it was me spilling coffee, again, I haven't done it this morning yet, <laughs> uh, or, or something truly diabolical, it will all work out for good in Christ Jesus. And if you can just pause and know that, well, then the coffee one is like, okay, but that's that's a long stretch. How does me spilling coffee work out for the good of Christ Jesus? Well, think about that while you're cleaning it up. Uh, that's a useful, that's a really useful, th- that's how, that's the answer right? And, and it, I found that to be very much the case. Um, so hopefully that helps you where you are. Lynn says this, uh, Pastor Fisk, can you please, <laughs> this one's good. Um, what time we got? Uh, can you please throw some light on Psalm 68 verse 13? No, you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. Lynn goes on, it is a heavenly mystery to me. For instance, who is being addressed? What is this a picture of? I cannot fathom its meaning, but I find it uplifting. I uh, It's revealing something about our Lord, I'm sure, in the context of the whole song. Many thanks, Lynn. Yeah, you, you're right. You're right. And this is one that I've, uh, 68, Psalm 68 is one that I've had some trouble with in the past too, because I, uh, I was unsure about some of the language in it, particularly some of the names, Zaman and Bashan, you many-peaked mountain of Bashan. Like, it's hard to, like, emphasize that in the chant at church when I don't know what it's talking about. <laughs> That's why most people don't like listening to chant at church, by the way, is people aren't listening to what they're saying when they say it. Um, truth. Uh, so, I mean, I had to go do some looking on this. I know that uh, Pastor John Franson, who, who's in the Mad Christian Discord and answers questions about Hebrew there with some regularity and, and knows what he's talking about when it gets to the nuts and bolts especially, uh, is um, he answered some stuff for me on this psalm, Mountain of Bashan, way back. I went back, I watched that stuff. But then I went and I, I picked up 
My Kylan Dalich, you, you hear me talk about him all the time. Like this is like one of the most valuable things you can have in your library as a pastor. Um, is there? I think they have a New Testament one too, but their Old Testament commentary. Not that they're right about everything, but anything that somebody else doesn't talk about, they probably do. <laughs> and it's really cool as a result of that. They go through everything. Um, so their section on Psalm sixty-eight. Uh, says this. They quote a guy named Hitzig. They go, it is no easy task to become master of this Titan. That's Psalm 68, okay? That's your question, Lynn, right? Hey, I have a question about Psalm 68. It is no easy task to become master of this Titan. That's what these, that's what these guys say, <laughs> right? Oh, man, I'm going to read a little more of those. Really good. He says, it is a psalm in the style of Deborah, stalking along upon the highest pinnacle of hymnic feeling and recital. All that is most glorious in the literature of the early period is concentrated in it. Early period means like judges. Moses' memorable words, Moses' blessing, the prophecies of Balaam, the Deuteronomy, the song of Hannah re-echo here. But oh, over, <coughs> excuse me, over and above all this, the language is so bold and so peculiarly its own that we meet with no less than 13 words that do not occur anywhere else. It's called a hotbox legomena, and they're, they're not that common. 13 one psalm, you know, a word that doesn't occur anywhere else, that means we're not sure usually what it means because you have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so Elohim, the standard word for God, occurs 23 times. Okay, well, it's okay. Yeah. It must be the Elohimist if you're like the liberals, right? The Elohimist as opposed to the Yahwehist must have written this one. Well, okay, check this out though. Elohim occurs 23 times, but in addition to this, it is as though the whole cornucopia of divine names were poured into it. Yahweh, Adonai, um, Ha'el, Shaddai, uh, I don't even know that one. Yah, uh, there's another one. Uh, uh, Joshua, Edonai, and uh, Yah Elohim. So there's a bunch of versions on the name and spread us. It doesn't have El Shaddai in there. But um, uh, so the fact is, again, it's got this. Very wide net is what you should take from all of that. Psalm 68 casts a super wide net over the early Old Testament identity of the people in order to bring it forward and celebrate it. And then that's the question, when? So the big argument with this text is when and who was it written by? Um, and, you know, the, the, the classic modernists uh, who really don't believe anything except their own arrogance, uh, want to say it was sometime between Alexander the Great and the Maccabees. Basically, anything that reeks of, of like violence or prophecy uh, that, that actually came to pass in the Old Testament, they end up saying, well, that was the Maccabee period. They, they wrote after the fact, and they were really, they, they, they threw off somebody, and so therefore it all must be there. It's a very ham-fisted, although German and aggressive 1800s approach to the Bible that continues to dominate all, all commentary arguments. You know, we're, we're defending ourselves against those kinds of accusations. He spends a whole page on it, you know, 200 years ago. Anyway, uh, it, but in opposition to this, without, I, you know, why spend time on it? In opposition of this transplanting of the psalm that is saying it really doesn't believe in the Bible, it believes in the intertestamental period, or belongs in the intertestamental period, um, they, they go to this guy Hitzig again, who was a forebear of theirs, uh, and they say this, uh, he refers the psalm to the victorious campaign of Joram against faithless Moab undertaken in company with Jehoshaphat. Now, that's a story that I didn't go look up again. It sounds pretty cool, though, actually. Um, but it, it is it is moved on, though. There's more argument. Okay, so that's one possibility that Joram and Jehoshaphat together fought Moab. And go Google that one, right? Botcher, another uh, statesman of, of exegesis, says, on the other hand, uh, or see, excuse me, Botcher, this person, this elder statesman, on the other hand, sees 
in Psalm 68 a festival hymn of triumph belonging to Hezekiah, which was sung antiphonically at the great fraternizing Passover after the return home of the young king from one of his expositions against the Assyrians, who had even at that time fortified themselves in the country east of the Jordan in Bashan. Now, that's like, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Well, the point actually is, though, there's not that much information, and that's a very specific, like, story <laughs> uh, for very little information, which he'll say, uh, Kyle and Dale, she'll say that in a moment, but uh, Phineas gives us uh, an even more specific story, uh, and, and they even mock him a little bit here. They say, uh, Phineas knows the situation so very definitely that he thinks it high time that the discussion concerning to inspirit the army in the presence of the battle which Josiah undertook against Nico and the prominent hateful character in verse 22 is Pharaoh with his lofty artificial adornment of hair upon his shaven head. Um, uh, it is, however, and they point out, uh, that battle didn't go well. So this song doesn't make sense as part of that battle. Uh, so... Let's see. But then the, there's this other issue. So there's an inscription. Okay. So the inscription says La David. La David. I don't say it that way. La David is how I would say it. Um, and that is of David, right? Written by David. Are the inscriptions inspired and without error? Oh, okay. I know worms. Probably not. Um, this one being an interesting example of something that doesn't seem to be of David. He goes through and he gives a couple places in David's life where the situation could line up. And it's a neat story how that works. But they kind of got me uh, with a couple of things. The reference to Zaman, uh, the northern tribe focus, the reference to uh, Deborah and Judges, all of those things are more Ephraim than, than David ever. And Ephraim being the northern kingdom, mostly, right? Uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, uh, sorry, Jeroboam and his family. So as a result, and these guys, I mean, they, they tend to know among the debated Psalms, it stands alone in terms of its language, its tenor, its feel, its placement. It just doesn't line up with other stuff from David. Now, that's an opinion. That's, that's an opinion, right? Uh, and that's the thing too, though. At the end of the day, where does this one really belong? Does it belong with, with David? Let's see, where was the one that was kind of cool? Um, mm, mm, mm. David's war against the Syro-Ammonites. The Syro-Ammonitish war of David uh, in which the ark was taken with them by the people, and they went out over two years. So maybe they went out the first year without the ark, second year with the ark and prayer and the psalm. Like, that sounds really cool. So you got some options there, but uh, none of them really guarantee where this psalm was used. Um, but what does happen, I don't know if I, I didn't, I didn't underline all this stuff. What is clear is that it's a psalm of war. It is a psalm of war. Uh, the poet has the march through the desert to Canaan under the guidance of God, the irresistible conqueror in mind from the beginning. And then calls this to mind as a divine leading throughout the entire psalm. So I think that, that made a lot of sense. Um, and it's all about the fact that the land of promise has been given and they want it to be maintained. Right. So having received the promise, may we retain the promise. I'm going to read a little more here. Uh, they go on and they say, The deliverance of Israel from the army of Pharaoh the deliverance out of the land of Jabin by the defeat of Sisera, the victory of Jephthah over the Ammonites, and the victorious single comet of David with Goliath were all celebrated and sung by women. Why am I bringing up celebrated and sung by women? I'm doing that because here we are in Psalm 68. We're going to try to look at the verse that uh, was requested by Lynn. i got to go back a little bit here and find it. And it's forward, it's forward. Uh, where are you, dove? Oh, right in front of my face, probably. 
13. There we go. Wings of the Dove. 13. Uh, so right before we get to that, though, right? So the question's about 68.13 that says, Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and on. It says, it says this, verse 11, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. Now, uh, Kyle and Dalich translate that a little bit differently here. They say, uh, Thy creatures have settled down therein. Oh, no, that's wrong. Where is it? The Lord will sound forth the mandate of the women who herald victory. There is a great army. So that's part of... um, this great was the company of those who proclaimed it in verse 11. And I can see here on the on the ESV page, there's a little note uh, or a host. Well, that's not kind of what I was looking for. But Kyle and Dalich imply that this is actually talking about the women, as is the rest of verse 12. She who remains at home devises a spoil. This is what leads into what we're talking about, and it will help make sense if we can understand it. So what's going on here is two things. Uh, like I said a moment ago when I read that little bit, there's an allusion to all the great victories of the history of uh, of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So Jabin and Sisera, uh, Israel and Pharaoh at the Red Sea, Jephthah and the Ammonites, Jephthah and the Ammonites, David and Goliath. There are women who sing of it. And the text says that, right? Women sing of it. So here they're saying, like, we're going to go to war or we've gone to war uh, and the Lord has been with us and the Lord will be with us and we're, the women will sing of it. And that's, that's verse 11. And then look, 12. Kings of armies flee, they flee. Like no one can stand before us. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. That is the housewife divides the spoil. What does that mean? Uh, it could mean two things. It could mean the person who is late <laughs> uh, still gets some, or it could just mean you don't even have to go. You don't even go. And the spoil comes back to you, which is not usually the way it works. Like that's a great victory at that, at that point, right? A great victory. Um, if you're thinking old world kind of victory. So, so that's the verse that leads into this. Why is that important? So this means there has been a battle. This means at the battle, there is a great victory. This means there is spoil. Spoil, booty. <laughs> uh, there is gold. There is silver. There is mammon. It's not money. It's not paper. No one traded in paper. <laughs> no one would trust that. You know, what makes you trust that? Oh, Christianity. Oh, interesting. It's a long story. Um, you should read the book Debt, by the way, if you haven't, uh, before you challenge me too much on what I say about money. Um, Go check it out. It's really worth it. Uh, In the barbarian world, they just take your money and they call it spoil or they call it booty. And that's what happens when people attack you and you attack them back and take their stuff also, which happened a lot in the ancient world. Am I advocating we go back to this? No. Do I believe we may live in that world again? Maybe. We certainly need to imagine it in order to understand the psalm. So put yourself in the position of the woman whose husband went off to battle against a greater enemy that seemed like there was no way he could win, and yet he went with Jesus Christ. He went with the Ark of the Covenant of Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Christ our Lord fights for him. And so you know with certainty, you can laugh at the future, as Proverbs 31 says, right? You can know he's going to come back in with his shield, not on it. Uh, Now, again, spiritualizing this for the present. We don't quite have these same promises, but back then they actually had these promises. He's going to come back with his shield, not on it. That is the promise he has been given. Uh, And then he's going to bring with him spoil, right? So your husband didn't just go away to defend. He went away and he came back a king. He came back with great things. And so that's where you have this text that though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver 
and her feathers with yellow gold. Verse 14, when the Almighty scatters kings in it, it was as white as snow in Zalman. Right? Okay, so... Mm, 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 mm. Uh, the dividing of the spoil, said Kyle and Dalich, belong to the victors. What is meant here is the distribution of the portions of the spoil that have fallen into the individual vectors, the further distribution of which comes to the housewife. This points to Deborah's song. Just as uh, just such a time is now also before Israel, a time of peaceful prosperity and hatched by rich spoil. Right? So they're singing about uh, in this Joram Jehoshaphat victory that peace will in fact come upon them. Everything shall glitter and gleam with silver and gold, they say. Israel is God's own turtle dove. Or if you can imagine the husband coming back to his wife, he's bloodied but he's alive. He's got his shield and he's got this golden turtle dove that he's brought back from the spoils of war to give to his you know, his farmhouse country wife uh, way back in the in the backlands of Israel, right? Uh, back where the, uh, what, what, the the Gideonites? I don't know which one. I'm trying to think of the most like obscure one. The Naphtaliites? Is that what you say it? Naphtalites? Um, Israel's God's turtle dove. Hence, the new circumstances of ease and comfort are likened to the very hues of a dove disporting itself in the sun. Its wings are overlaid with silver, its pinions with gold and green, with iridescent or glycerine gold side by side with bold simile. I mean, we think of uh, pigeons as dirty birds these days, and, and they are, and yet if you look at them, they do have a sheen to them, right? They shine in the sun. And a dove is an old world pigeon, just a very pretty one, and has quite the shine. So the idea of the turtle dove being both in itself in the sun upon the troops in the field shining over their dead bones and or their um, their helmets and whatnot, which is also potentially connected through a Homer reference, um, as if as in that Homer stole it <laughs> from here uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so you have all of that. Uh, but then what I think is important is that so now you understand that this this gift of grace, of salvation, of, of ongoing promise that is met even in the midst of the darkness um, what it means in verse 14 that the Almighty scatters the king. So whatever stands against you is scattered. And when it says it was white as snow in Zalman. So Zalman is a mountain. Zalman is a mountain. Uh, well, here we are. Uh, and it's connected to uh, the word Targum. I, I cannot remember how they connect that. You're just going to have to trust them on this one. But it's connected to the word Targum, uh, uh, which is a mountain name in Ephraim. So uh, Zalman has a mountain named Targum. That mountain's name, Targum, means deep darkness. Right? That's fun. Um, so this mountain in Ephraim named Deep Darkness, the trees of which Abimelech transported in order to set fire to the Tower of Shechem. Remember how great that was? Uh, the Talmudic literature was acquainted with the river taking its rise there and also some frequent mentions, uh, somewhat frequently mentions a locality bearing a similar name to the mountain. That is to say, so um, Targum and Zalman are this mountain uh, that is an opposing mountain to the worship of God, part of northern Israel, centrally located a place, a high place, right? It's, it's a high place. It's where the high place worship happened. And now it's snowing there. Now they talk about the snow being more of the spoil, the glistening spoil upon the battlefield, again, the helmets and all this kind of stuff. Um, however, I like winter is coming. Hey, Mount Zaman, we're singing a song about how God's going to war with us against you. And yeah, winter's coming. Yeah, if you get the reference, right? So I, I think that's kind of what's going on there with the snow on the mountains. And then they shout at this mountain. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountain of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, Jesus Christ will dwell in it forever. So Mount Bashan is not the mountain Jesus Christ desires to, to dwell in. Neither is Targum. So likened to Targum and Zaman, or Salmon, uh, you have, I think it's Zaman, uh, you have also Bashan, which is to the east, more in the Ephraimite area. Um, 
uh, excuse me, it's, it's the Manessite area. It's where Og, king of Bashan, was at. Uh, he came out of his fortress uh, in Bashan, right? These mountains. And it was a super high mountain, like one of the highest ones in the area with other mountains around it. And so comparatively, you have, um, again, Zaman, where they're going to fight against this, this nation. You have this other nation that is uh, outside and incomplete as compared to what the mountain God dwells in, the Ark on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, which is what they're bringing out for the battle in theory, or the, the one who they're praying to at the very least. That's the mountain God desires to dwell in, the chariots of God are 20,000. So it goes on and there's more. I mean, it's all about this this war, right? <laughs> um, uh, that happened of old to protect the covenant people from being destroyed because we live in a world where evil people just destroy other people groups because they hate them. And that white noise, by the way, is, is how a lot of that ends up coming to place. All right, those are two big ones to start the day. I'm going to take another one-minute break here, I think. Just drink a little more water and coffee. Um, I'm going to take a the beginning of a three-minute break, but we will be back before this music is done. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. All right. Risk it super chest in and says this. Uh, is it appropriate to separately identify the persons of the Trinity in the Old Testament? Jesus instead of the angel, of the Lord, the father and spirit. I think so. Um, although you want to understand that the Trinity never acts without joint will. Right? They're not out there lone rangering, even though they are distinct persons. And Yes, let us not attempt to peer into the imminency of the Trinity and expect to understand it. Let us instead bask in the glory of the Revelation. So, however, let me say this, though. Unless the Old Testament specifically says Spirit, and even then, because the Spirit of God proceeds from Jesus, as is rightly confessed at Nicaea Constantinople, even if the East doesn't like that, it's what the Bible says, right? And we should talk about that rather than you know our history, I think. But anyway, um, you want to, as often as you can, unless the Bible is telling you otherwise, believe it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is your God. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is, humanly speaking, the new Adam, which makes him also your father. So even there, he is your father who art in heaven. Does that mean he is the father, the unbegotten? No. No. The one who dwells in inapproachable light, whom only God has seen, Jesus, and only Jesus has seen, they are, they are different. They are distinct. Jesus prays to him. Jesus acknowledges him. Jesus puts his will in, and Jesus will hand the kingdom back over to him at the end of time, Paul says. Right? So, you know, but in the Old Testament, who is the interceder? There is no mediator in heaven or earth given a bunch of, um, among men by which we may be saved. The only name, the only name, right, is not Father. Uh, the, the name is Jesus Christ. And then the baptism into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is the baptism Jesus Christ has delivered to us, right? Sent to us, given to us. So I highly recommend to get off the pantheism deistic gravy train of complete crazy uh, (laughs) to say Jesus Christ as often as you can, period. Not as a curse word. And then do it when you read the Bible in the Old Testament. Whenever you see the Lord, stop saying Adonai because the Jews said Adonai. Don't worry about whether it's Jehovah or Yahweh. Just say Jesus Christ. I mean, really, just say it. It, it it's great. It rhymes. Not really. It, 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 it rolls. It rolls. It will help you rebrand Jesus, by the way. That might even be where I started doing this. I knew I had the thought sometime last summer that Jesus has a branding problem in the United States. He's he's kind of a. There are no appropriate words, unfortunately. Effet, effet, 
a fed. He's a fed. American Jesus is definitely a fed. And, um, well, that's not going to go over well with the barbarians ever. It's also not true, I think. And the way to know it's not true, the way to have Jesus be rebranded as Jesus, is to read the Psalms and say Jesus Christ instead of the Lord. You'll find out who Jesus Christ is really fast. Go, God, my God! Wow. Um, good. I'm glad he's my God. But that's... Wow. Look what he did to my enemies. That's a mate. Am I... Jesus Christ, thank you. Amen. Lord, it'll change the way you pray. You, you will no longer think you know. If you can start believing that the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. You know, there was an argument that was put forward by the liberal, what, 1800s schools of Europe uh, that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New. And that the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is the God of mercy. And even though Christians across America, conservative as the day is long, have been trying our darndest, my church by our, we will not believe that lie, we act like we do. We act like we do. And you'll find out real quick, as you're challenged by reading something like Psalm 68, Psalm 12, Psalm 124, 129, 149, uh, you know, which are beautiful. If you believe God fights for you and that to be Israel is to have God fight for you, not always in the way you would expect. Again, and you roll lots for something, he might give you the answer that you absolutely need and will be the fact, his will, the history that happens, your path to salvation. And yet, if you'd made the other decision, it would have been way easier, more fun, and you still would have been saved. So don't assume that just because you're going to cast lots, it's what you wanted is that's going to happen. But that's maybe the reason to cast the lots is because you know you need to be able to lose. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Brent goes on in a different question. He says, I just found your YouTube channel. Thanks for all that you do. Wow. Like, there's people who don't know about me? Like the millions and billions of people who don't know about me? That's cool, man. I've been here for a while, and thanks for tuning in, and hopefully you find something in all that backlog, because it's hard to search through, let me tell you. Um, do you have any book recommendations that would help show the reliability of the Gospels? So you're looking for, like, textual reliability? Canon of Scripture by F.F. F. Bruce and or Carson Moon Morris's uh, An Introduction to the New Testament are probably your best easy hits, okay? Those are dated, I think, unless Moon Morris has opened a new one. By dated, I mean the modernist skeptics will have found more ways to not believe what's evidently true, and you'll have to try harder to explain how there's an obvious reason why it could be true and why that's enough. Um, so, you know, at some point, stop worrying about that argument and realize those guys are going to get killed by barbarians in the next 50 years. They're just going to get killed. And you're going to be here. I'm serious. I really am. Like the, People who are arguing about how the Bible isn't true, so you shouldn't trust it, when, when they actually have a jihadist, and they don't have to be Muslims to be jihadists, you know, a, a zealous religion that's here believing in things like blood sacrifice to deal with whatever they think needs to be cleaned and purified, which clean impurity is a big deal right now already, right? Um, when all that comes, uh, are you going to be arguing about the validity of the Gospels with these guys? Right right now, if I go out on the streets in my city and I go talk to some of these youth that are down there where all the heroin is and where they want to defend the police, even though all the police are minorities, I don't get it. Okay, but if I go down there and I talk to them, do they care about the validity of the Gospels as a textual credentialed argument? And if you're arguing with somebody who does, just realize what an elite world you live in and that's the world that's dying because there can't be that many elitists, not with the system we have now. So get ready to talk people into it not with logic, but with patience and assertion. Stop apologizing. Stop defending. Start offending. Start being offensive. Not on purpose. 
but with just not changing what the scriptures say and being pretty cool about it while you do it if you can. And in that regard, the reliability of the gospels doesn't matter because the gospels are reliable because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It doesn't matter if the gospels are reliable. It doesn't matter if they're inspired and inerrant. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You better hope they're inspired and inerrant. Otherwise, you don't have a lot of choice. Like, he's the judge. What are you going to (laughs) do? I'm going to cling to Galatians and Romans. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe what it says in the gospels is what it says. I'm going to go study it. I'm going to understand the textual variants. I'm going to look in the original languages. That matters. Why? Because it's a real religion. And frankly, you don't have to be a pastor to do any of that. Any of that. You want to read a book by, by F.S. Bruce about the, the, you know, the reliability of the New Testament Gospels? Let me tell you, go learn Greek instead. Ser- Hebrew. I watch my kids run around playing Harry Potter, saying this nonsense. I love my kids. But Hebrew. They're doing like henna yesterday. They got some henna, which is kind of cool. And they're like making up like dots and things. Like, this is our, this is our sign. I'm like, you know, that looks like Hebrew. Hebrew is better. You could like, you could really do it. You have your own like Minecraft secret language. You can like write, and draw, and like leave places. It means stuff. Too. It's pretty, it's amazing. You can then read the Bible. It's amazing. So anyway, that that would be my encouragement. Uh, as opposed to arguing with the dying modernists, get ready to live like an old world, new world Noahite uh, in a strange, strange situation of flood, of famine, all these things, and yet probably civilization going on, just zombies in the Matrix with the Christians in an ark of sanity. Mm, yeah, Kyrie Eleison, and uh, learn what that means, right? Lord have mercy. So Justin says this, how do we know if we're doing God's will versus our will? I mean, I just cast lots. <laughs> um, oh man, gambling doesn't go well for people either, right? If you think about it that way, like those are people who cast lots for a living. It's not a real good God lot casting. Mm, it shows you the, the who the real God is, though. Maybe it's that they're always casting lots in seedy places. Maybe that's the real problem. Anyway, how do we know God's will versus our will? The Word of God is my quick, simple answer. What the Bible authentically and actually says, and yes, it says a lot, but we can help you find some places that are pretty clear and are good places to start. Try the Ten Commandments. Try the Gospel of Matthew and try um, Jude, actually, while you're at it. So uh, can trials, tribulations, ungodly actions, behavior, such as addiction, loss, job, lives, poverty, divorce, remarriage, after divorce, be part of God's leading us to do his will. Again, same question. Is it accurate to state that our sins can become part of God's will for us moving forward after repentance and changed behavior? Yes, providential will. It's the same question, right? It's the same idea. God does not will evil. He does not choose sin. He does not create Darkness in the epic sense of evil again, okay? Shadow. He doesn't do that. After we did that, because the devil did that, and we were like, yeah, sounds good. Now, he doesn't let that stop him from being ultimately good to us anyway. So that all of these things that are evil, that were not God's will, because of Jesus, have become, in Jesus, God's will. His providential will, his redemptive will. Okay, um, Does that mean he wanted these things? No. Your desire to say that, or to have that argument, is your modernist problem. It's, it's because you think like a clock. Stop it. That's, you're not a clock. You're a, you're a, you're a body. You, I mean, you breathe, but not on time, usually. right? You can change it. That's, that's a valuable thing. Uh, so, 
Stop assuming that you can have everything equivocate to a one-to-one in an equal or. When you're going to talk about the will of God, who is three persons, who have three wills that are all in joint harmony with each other, harmony being a thing that doesn't necessarily mean synchrony, you just can't, you can't ask anymore after that. You just have to know that your God's bigger than a titan. I could... Crazy, nuts, mad, trying weirdness, boy. You know? <laughs> and, and so you best bow down and worship that. Uh, take your shoes off. Uh, I mean, that's, that's how crazy he is. As goodness. So that we, wicked things, we think it's crazy. As opposed to pure sanity and beauty. And so you, know, you have to then look at what is going on now as his redemptive will and say, yeah, it's God's will that all of these things be for your good. But don't you for one second say, um, hey, son, go do that. God meant this for my life would be the most squishy wrong way to say it. It would be more like I meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's how Joseph says it, right? So I think, I think that sums it up right there, right? Go read Joseph. What a story. Oh my goodness. So we got here from Kristen. Kristen says this. Do you have any material or previous podcasts that address how to aid in removing or lifting the veil of deceit from a person involved in masonry? Do I wish it? I do not. I do not. Masonry? Is that even still around? My church body really doesn't think they're still around. I've talked to guys about it. They don't believe they're still around. I'm like, but they all got buildings still. And I see their stuff on cars. I think they got a lot of money, man. Anyway, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. The LCMS, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, used to be the most hardcore anti-Masonic church body in the history of anti-Masonic church bodies. We were so anti-Masonic that you couldn't be a part of any club but our church body. Like, you want to join the Elks? Sorry. <laughs> you're, no secret societies. You know, we're bad German Lutherans and we shall preserve. And frankly, they were and they did for a good while. So you can't really knock them too hard. Uh, it's more what happened after they went to English and got rich that became the real issue. You know, wealth is the uh, the love of, of debt that appears to be wealth is the root of all kinds of evil, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's not a direct quote. But in any case, I'm still reading through my collection of information, but when I try to vet where, who the information comes from, it gives me positive question authenticity. Exactly. A, an organization clouded in secrecy. Worse even than the Watchtower. Ah, I mean, maybe it's the Illuminati and they go all the way back like, like Augustus and stuff, which is some of the mythology, right? I mean, American treasure or something, yeah? Um, I have learned, to, Kristen goes on, I learned and trust that God's word, the Holy Bible, is the only source of truth out there. So while I continue to pray and gather information from the source, I am looking also to other more experienced people that may be able to direct me in biblical truth how to get my father-in-law out of the grip of this. So prayer, Psalms. Go there. Now, <clears throat> 119. Open it. Okay, it's huge. Don't do it all at once. It's got eight verses at a time. Pray it once, twice, three times a day, however you can, how, how few you can. Just open it. Use Jesus Christ instead of Lord. Pray it every day. Believe it. Believe what it says. Slowly. Ponder it. A little, little bit over the course of weeks. Okay? And as you're doing that, remember your father-in-law. Remember him and pray these words as your words and, and Christ's words and words that you would have him here as well. And then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Wait. Just wait. Um, trust the word. I'm not saying it's magic. I'm just saying it's, it's just prayer is what God would have you do every single time. I, I learned something that I hope someone will write down and 
make more of than what I'm about to say. I really do. Um, this may be the single most valuable thing I ever understood in the Bible. So um, I really mean this. And I, I, I don't, I, I've sat at the feet of giants. If you think I know stuff, it's because I've sat at the feet of giants. But I think I figured this one out. I, if you can find it somewhere else, I'd be glad to not be an innovator on it. But I think I figured something out. I've really struggled with Solomon my whole life. And you've heard me talk about this other places too. What happened to the guy? So why is this guy ever? He falls away. How is this possible? Now, Andrew Preuss, pastor out in Iowa, helped me by saying like, well, maybe, maybe he got wise and he thought, okay, I'm wise. I'm going to try everything and see what it's like because that's what wise guys do. And in fact, it led him to being the wisest guy who wrote all this stuff for us. And then he realized his son didn't get it. And so he started writing Proverbs after Ecclesiastes in order to convince his son, Rehoboam, to not be the person he ended up being because he himself in his foolish time had worshiped false gods and Rehoboam when he was young had seen all of that and then formed and imprinted that way. It all makes sense, okay? But then still, okay, so you go back and it's like, okay, so here's this moment where the son of David is king. He's king and God says, what do you want? What do you want from me that I will give you? I'll give you anything you want. And you've got the ability to see that Solomon's answer didn't keep the kingdom together. Okay? You game this one with me? What do you say instead? You with me? You got an answer? I will give you mine. You say, Lord, teach me to pray. Because if Solomon had asked to learn to pray, he would have never gone to the high places and he still would have found all the wisdom in the world. Yeah, right? Like if I said anything ever that was good, I think that was it. I think that was it. Lord, teach us to pray. So that's, that's where I'm at with your answer. Because we don't have the ability or time to mine the depths of the Gnostic pantheons of aeonic angelic beings in order to argue against how the planet Kolob has a spaceship around it. And if we're not careful, the devil Jesus brother will turn the Watchtower organization into a ship that broadcasts radio to LA off of uh, you know, the California coast in international waters for the sake of the aliens who populated this planet many years ago and someday will return to turn us into uh, Terminators. And only the word Terminator is not an actual religion in our country right now. So there's a number of them, I said, and they all came about at the same times. But it's all the same mess. And if you want to go, Kingdom of the Cults, there you go, there's the book. Kingdom of the Cults is the book you want. I cannot say that it is accurate all the way through. I have not. I got it. I'm like, oh, good. I'm going to learn about... There is two... How do they even come up with this stuff? And so instead, know what God says. And then listen carefully to what he says. And over time, let the words of your mouth be what the meditation of your heart has been. And don't worry about it because you'll say the right thing. Your faith will say the right thing. Does that mean he will come out of it? We got to get this, Christian. You can't make him come out of it. You do not save anybody. You do not. We do not. The idea that we're going to go plant a church somewhere in the name of mission is the most arrogant, misguided thing ever. Ever. The fact that we've been doing that as various church bodies for a generation and a half is why it's falling apart. Rather, we should say, if it is the Lord's will. Is it not the Lord's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Yes, indeed. That is the Lord's will. Is it his will that the sinner die and not turn from his repentance? No, that is not his will. His will is to save. But by who? Not by you. By your mouth? Yeah, actually. But that's not by you either. So the more you try to make it by your mouth, the less it'll be by his mouth, right? The point is, 
your heart has been opened to see that he has enslaved to demons. Straight up. All false religion does it one way or the other, even if they're not talking to him or they're talking through you. Uh, although, they're always talking through everybody. That's what a lie is, is a ghost, uh, a very evil one. Um, so, you know, you're praying that he would be unchained and unleashed from that. I've sent you to the prayer to start on. Psalm 119 is a pretty tough one, but it'll get you lots of tasty goodies for a good long time. And you can just kind of roll through it over and over and over again as you pray about him. And eventually you're going to find more scriptures that become part of your prayers for this man. Ask specifically for his freedom. Ask specifically for his baptism. Ask specifically for his eyesight. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, as you will, Kingdom of the Colts, I'll probably tell you about the Masons. I don't know, though, if they're in there. Check to make sure that's in there. Um, here, here's the other thing I know. I know there ain't nothing false religions got that we don't got tenfold and cooler. We just hide it or don't remember it. And we're kind of doofuses about it. Um, but it's all kind of there. So everything the Masons think they're doing is like just kind of like 60% Christianity with like a, a bunch of watered down Americana um, and, you know, John Locke. Yeah. And, and so, uh, again, they're just, they're just pantheists. They don't know who they're worshiping. And maybe that's where I would try to go in the conversation with him because, you know, Mason Schmation, who's your God, dude? Like at the 33rd order, maybe they're all calling him Lucifer, but way down on, on tier four, his name's like Grandpa Jesus, right? So, you know, well, who is Grandpa Jesus? And, and, and what do you believe about him and why? Um, those questions matter. Uh, who do you say Jesus is? That's the question he asks. Not if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? Is who do you say Jesus is? Uh, he's the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So I hope that helps. Didn't mean to chide you too much. Oh, you got more. You got more to throw at me. I should have grabbed this. Um, oh, oh, continued. I think that got reversed. This might have been the front. I can't remember the first saw some online clips of your ministry, but I've come through uh, to trust your honesty and truth. I've been reading your book. Echo, actually, that's a good one to ponder too for when you want to talk with him because his issues will tie into one of those drawings, right? One of those drawings, you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, and somehow either you can go back and read it again. You can share it with him. I, I don't give him the book, right? But share the idea. Um, think about his life and his conversation in the terms that I've given you in that book. Um, and then make that part of your prayers too. Uh, good, good for you. Uh, my current concern is my aging father-in-law. So this should, I should have read this before. Uh, he's a Freemason. I have read and I'm still seeking information about how to love him as a Christian, but explain that he is being deceived by this cult. Yeah. Uh, due to his age and the course of COVID, he has not participated in activities for a long time. But I fear when the time comes, he will want to be buried in his Masonic garb, believing that his time in Masonry was not evil and damaging. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, that's rough. Uh, he has six sons, none of whom joined the Masons, but not all believe what dad participated in was bad. There are at least two sons who will be hard-pressed to participate or even attend the funeral if his Masonic wishes are honored. Well, then that's your answer right there is uh, get him to talk to his two sons about how they'd like to come to the funeral. Hey, dad, you know, I'd like to go to your funeral. But if you do it in Masonic garb, because I, my God is Jesus Christ, hopefully that's what they can say, um, I can't. So since you don't really think it's that big a deal, like you kind of like the Masons, you kind of don't, can I go to your funeral? Can you not do that for me? I mean, that seems to me like a really clear answer. Um, but it's, again, uh, you're not going to talk anybody in anything. And when you're dealing with an old man too, um, he is who he is. You're going to speak and you'll either be heard or you won't. So your task is to learn to speak wisely. Right? If you only have so many words, well, which ones do you say? And again, that's why I really encourage you to train your heart with prayer on this matter first. 
Um, let that be your guide. Trust that if Jesus is going to save him, Jesus is going to save him. And then from there, wait for the opportunity, pray for the opportunity to be the one who voices that salvation. Yeah, uh, Inferno! That's that's a cool name. It really is. I, I would not really name a child that because that, that would not be biblically really in line. you know. But it'd be a cool bunny rabbit. Definitely a cool bunny rabbit. Thanks, Rip Fisk. He says, for all you do, I love listening to you on a daily basis. Wow, how do you do that? Old stuff, right? God bless you. Um, uh, I'm needing some guidance. I am feeling oppressed, uh, whether by demons or the devil himself, who try to convince me to abandon my faith. What I mean is uh, that I hear is not worth it. There is no afterlife. There is no God. Cool. So, I mean, not cool. Um, I'm going to stop there. You got more that you say. But what I want to get at right here is, first off, if you're hearing it audibly and outside of your head, that's... Some nut stuff right there. Say, Jesus Christ is my God and get in that psalm I was talking about, okay? But you're probably not meaning that. You know, there's no head spinning and barf flying just yet. Uh, although, I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. That's what I know now is I don't know. And I need to pray I'm ready because I will not know what to expect uh, if and when. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, move on. <laughs> uh, but... Um, I want to start with it right here, though. You feel oppressed, whether by demons or the devil himself, and then you hear... It's not worth it. There is no God. So first off, what are you hearing? You are hearing yourself. Okay. You are hearing yourself. What is yourself? Who are you? How does it, is that, I'm thinking of much ado about nothing for some reason. Kenneth Branagh, anybody? Come on. I mean, he's a good actor. Uh, And he he directed Thor, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Although there's connections with the actors and that has nothing to do with the answer to this question. Uh, the voices that you hear in your head are yourself. Who are you? What is yourself? Yourself is a combo. Okay, Your combo. Uh, you are not a thing. You are a combination of things. And the primary, this is the principal things you are a combination of, are not water, salt, and light. Although, that's a big part of it, actually. Um, but the primary thing you are a combination of is breath, Right? Breath, and then uh, mind, and then heart. Now, those are ideas that are physically you and are also, even physically you, heart including this entire region of your body, um, carry some very real, excepting the lungs, carry some very real physiological categories for understanding yourself. So you know that when something bad is going on, your stomach hurts, right? Well, there's a, that's your heart, man. It, but, 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 of course, it's, it's this whole system in here, right? You know that when you need to calm down, if you breathe, it can really, in mind, heart, it can all help everything. And you know that the mind is part of the thing that's racing. That's what you're talking about is my mind, my voice, all this kind of stuff, right? But your heart also influences your voice. So you have this mind voice that speaks. You get this heart passion that feels. And you get this body that breathes that's kind of taking in and putting out. And frankly, the whole experience is being created and sustained by that. I mean, if you, if you, if you take in things that are bad, poison, you know, I mean, you have an experience that results in that. All right. So um, that's who you are. Body, mind, and heart. Now, that body of yours learns to talk by listening and watching. Now, whether I can tie or want to tie listening and watching to head and heart, it doesn't matter to me. Um, the, the point is, though, that what goes in eventually becomes not just what comes out, not just what comes out, that too, but what goes in becomes who you are. You think you're this rock 
of identity that has made yourself what you are because that's the myth of America or West, the West. But what you are is the blood of your father. The blood of your father made uniquely new and rotten from the beginning by means of the ghostly, wicked, demonic, lying voices, including your own father's and mother's worst sins that were spoken into you as an infant, often by their own ignorance. And this is without saying anything about the actual mystical connection of the bloodline sin. Okay, I mean, this is just saying how, how, how it goes in your head. Now, we did something in the last 50 years that made this even worse. I think this is why many people are anxious. Anxious. That's just a word. I mean, there's levels. The spectrum of anxiety goes deep. I'll put it that way. Um, but aside from just having like the village's voices be the ones that you have to use to try to figure out who you are, like, you know, the cotton smith who... Is there such a thing as a cotton smith? The cotton smith who yells at you and then like the farmer whose daughter you like and then like, you know, the guy downtown or the shopkeeper who, who would sell you candies. You know, all those voices are who you experience and so you learn to mimic. You generally aren't able to just be you, although your blood does come out and you are you. So there's there's a... That mimicking blob is a unique amalgamation of bloodline and inputs. Nature, nurture, blah, blah, blah. Why are you equivocating? So don't equivocate. <laughs> uh, so what does that mean? It means that it's not worth it and there is no God are things you've been told often enough somewhere that you're still telling it to yourself because you have not yet taken the time to process it. You're too tired. You turn the TV on and you just take more in. And so along with a couple of voices you might have had from the village, you've got a billion voices in your head. Since I stopped watching TV, and I'm not necessarily done forever, but I'm definitely like on the low TV diet. Um, one of the things I noticed was how many times I quote movies. And I realized I'd rather quote the Bible. And and why would I let these characters who, I mean, they're not bad. Star-Lord is kind of disappointing. He's very Gen X. It's just so sad, actually, who Star-Lord is. Um, why would I want to quote him about my life? So, so that question has been there for me. And it's about these voices, about these ghosts. I like to think of them as ghosts or spirits. So you said, you know, I'm, I'm haunted. I'm oppressed by demons or the devil themselves. Okay, so demons, as opposed to say the spirit of an idea, the ghost of a lie, which I would say is on some level demonic for sure. And maybe even actual demon. But like, if you want to talk the demons that are going to be personified, Hi, I'm Lucifer. How you doing? Good to meet you, right? Uh, my name is Legion, right? That kind of thing. There is a proximity involved in that that I'm just going to tell you straight up. It ain't you. You didn't write. You would not have written this letter, okay? <laughs> you would not. Um, hey, there's no sanity. Think the Joker, okay? But it's proximate. And so what you're going to have around that is a guy, I mean, he's not just a guy whose name Legion, he can break chains with superhuman strength. He has scars and cuttings all over his body. He screams and wails at anybody who comes near him. Uh, so that's, that's demonic possession. Uh, and the devil, to my knowledge, does not actually possess anybody. The devil possesses us all by means of our carnal nature. So there is that. So you can always blame the voices in your head, inherited in the sins of your forebears, bound to your carnal nature. You can always blame that on the devil. The devil made me do it, like Eve said. Um, and and she, she's not technically wrong, 
little equivocator on the narrow, right? Right, but oh, but but well, yes, but lady, <laughs> you know. Um, and so the argument doesn't really stand. And although the the devil's going to get his just desserts just because, and God is gracious and loves his creation, and so he loves man miraculously so enough to become one with us, and that does seem to have always been the plan. Um, well, don't get too worried about being personally tormented by the devil. He he doesn't have his eye on you, not the way you think. Mm-mm. You're just not that important. I'm sure you've got all sorts of like ghostly hauntings and spirits and lies that he put into the system through scholarship and music and all these other things over the last couple hundred years. So he's there, right? But he's a babbling monster. He's not an intelligence. He's not, um, uh, who's the, who's the guy in, uh, Avengers too. He doesn't have intelligence, not near you. He has white noise. He has lies. He has a blast. And the more you put that in your head, the more confusion, the more babble will be in your head, the more your head and your flesh will have ammo to, to attack you with. Imagine if all you knew were like truly spoken law and gospel promises of the Bible, only words you ever knew. It may be hard to like have bad ideas. <laughs> you could do it. I'm sure, right? We're that bad. But the point being again, what you're really dealing with is overload. You have an overclocked psyche. And you thought, Nintendo's pretty cool. I think overclocking would be even better. Yeah, yeah, right? And, and so, uh, sorry, no, not with your head, not with your heart. You don't want to overclock your head and your heart. You don't want to overclock your body. No, 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 no. Uh, what am I doing? It's only the fourth cup today. <laughs> maybe, maybe... Well, I will stop feeling guilty about coffee being an overclock of my body and just say, so what you're really dealing with here then, again, is what I'm going to call is demonic self-talk because all lies come from the devil, but it's really your carnal flesh and it's really compounding of both not having enough release for the voices that have gone into you and then countering that all along with the input, the imbibing, the feasting upon the healthy and holy words of Jesus. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes years, weeks at least, right? So set in to believe that you are not going to be cast away by God and that your religion and your God are so great that even though the devil is going to torment you day and night through your flesh the rest of your life, and even though you might run into some proximate demons somewhere, and maybe you just happen to live in that one place on earth where the devil is in fact proximate, if that even is a thing, even then, just turn the white nose off and read the Bible and give it a year. And, and really, the, I think the internal talk will change. I do. It won't be gone. You're going to have all sorts of hard conversations with people you love about your internal talk. Huh? That's what I've had to do. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I live a public life, so I have, what was, what did Coons called me? Hyper vocable? No, that wasn't it. Verbal. Hyper verbal. Uh, so apparently I have to talk it all out. Yeah. Uh, ask my wife. She's like, yeah, I love him, but um, he does talk everything out. That's true. Every, hi, honey. <laughs> Uh, so Inferno goes on and to say, I'm born and baptized. So you're, you're baptized. Then you are not possessed. Believe it. Um, it's, that's it. Believe it. Stop not believing it. Believe it. You're not possessed. Uh, you're baptized. Trust the baptism. Even if you were possessed, the moment you're like, oh, I, I, I do believe it. I'm baptized. That's right. I'm baptized. He's going to flee. Okay. The devil flees from this promise. So um, resist the devil. He will flee from you. So James says, right? Uh, I am born baptized LCMS. I'm reminded of St. Paul's words that if Christ is not resurrected, we have wasted our lives. Oh, I like this. Okay, okay. This is kind of fun, though. Sorry. Forgive me for having fun here. But there's a small... He goes on. There's a small part of me that is afraid that when I die, I will be brought to nothing and I will cease to exist. 
I get that. That's probably like, it's not my most recent doubt, but I definitely have had that doubt. Excuse me. And it's like, it's really big when it comes. Like, I'll just be like driving. I'm pastor. I just finished church or something. I was, it's just pastor day. And it's just like, maybe it's all a lie. <sighs> maybe it is. Maybe, maybe I just completely lied to those people and the atheists are right. And, and we're all a bunch of monkeys. And <sighs> Okay. So if that's true, I'm not sure what I change about my life. I guess I'd have to try to teach people that the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be believed in because it works, even if it's not true. But that's what an atheist would do, right? Is, is do it based on works. Um, so what I do instead is I remember that if that's true, what you said, if when I die, I blink out, like up to the moment of death, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to be my God because he is. And if I die and I find out he's not my God and I'm just like gone, like that's not really something to worry about. This is, this is a philosophical trick. It's, it's, it's a mind trick, but it's, it's true. Why are you worried about nothing happening? Like literally, you are literally terrified of nothing. As if that's the worst. The worst thing that can happen is you die and you find out Jesus saves by works. That's the worst thing that can happen. I'm not, I mean, think it through, you know, that's the doubt that we should really be afraid of, especially right now as we're watching our children like pander off and go away as our, our sanctuaries are collapsing because we haven't really cared for the idea of longevity. And we thought the American casino real estate game was just going to last forever. That's what we should be afraid of, you know? Uh, So, so when I have those moments and they do, they hit you out of nowhere. It's usually pretty quick. If I just say, wait, but if that's true, then like, we can't all die soon enough. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, this is, why are we even trying? Like the, the bugs should take over or something, you know? Um, so it, ultimately reason just destroys it. It has a lot of emotional power, but reason destroys it. If you'll just be patient and wait. Um, now, so I know that I cannot exact faith on my own. That's exactly right. So read the Psalms instead because <laughs> they give you faith um, uh, in Jesus. Uh, I find myself constantly praying. I believe Lord, help my unbelief. That is the prayer of the Christian. So get used to it. Don't try to make it go away. Be glad you're praying that. Uh, H-I-J, right? Yeah, there we go. Jenner, not Anakin, Grinjwager. He says this, Capital Mob could accomplish things, but no one led them. We need to toil the soil to sprout heroes, raising our sons to be great men. I've been meditating a lot on why God called Israel to get married and grow gardens in the city of Hanging Gardens, parallel failing civilization. I think you're right. Um, uh, Jedi Knight Cringewalker is a guy who who travels in some interesting online places and uh, has studied more than anybody I think I've ever met. Um, and uh, we're not always of the same mind, but I, I'm usually inspired by his thoughts. And I'm with you. So the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, indeed connecting to building houses and living in them as Bible-believing, Solomonic understanding, Psalmic praying Christians uh, pre-Jesus coming uh, may have led to some of those amazing feats that came out of both Babylon and Persia uh, as Christians were part of the elite, thanks to well, Daniel <laughs> and, and those like him. Um, so now the idea that the capital mod could have accomplished things, but no one led them. I'm going to go ahead and say, no, they couldn't have. They couldn't have. Uh, you're right. No one led them because no one could, because no one can, because that's not who we are as a people. That was LARP. And even though I really believe the guy's a shaman, the fact is we are ruled by the LARP shaman. Like that, what better religion, in fact, is Americana? 
What better name for the pantheistic nastiness that is the empire of a lot of different things and certainly, um, well, mm, blood on our hands with the babies, put it that way. Um, we are not capable of producing in our civilization men who would have understand what needed to be done in the last, I don't know, four years. If you really wanted to have virtue step in. Um, now, I'm not going to advocate what I think needed to happen. I'm just going to again say we do not have the kind of men. We do not. Uh, when Dan Carlin, I'll mention him again, has at the start of the hardcore history, you know, uh, our, uh, <clears throat> we are not descended from fearful men. I don't even know who says that. He says it. We are not descended from fearful men. If we tend to our doctrine, he says, we are not descended from fearful men. I'm, I'm afraid, my fellow Americans, we are descended from fearful men. Straight up. Get used to it, okay? So don't expect heroes to arise out of the ashes. What those people thought was happening, they thought it was orchestrated stunt. That girl got shot because she thought it was a stunt. She thought she was safe. She thought this whole thing was going to be like a moment of press that had been lauded for its glory. Go out and protest. Remember this? The news said it all year. So I don't, I don't know if the Capitol mob could have accomplished anything other than being the victim that they were. Uh, as, and Carlin's right about this, of mob violence. Because you get a mob together and you can't control it. And a couple of bad actors make the whole thing go bad and everyone knows that. Democracy. We, we shout it. We want to take it to the whole world. Then we're like, well, we don't like it when it happens. Well, I mean, I pledge allegiance um, to Jesus Christ. And then I live in the United States and I pay my taxes. And I will defend. I will defend, but uh, I will not. I will not trust. And I do not believe we have the capacity. Why would we want a hero to save this nation right now, Captain America? What would you save, Batman? What would you save? Who would you save? What would you do? Would you lead us all to some glorious revolution where we shoot all the communists? That doesn't make any sense. So I'm I'm with you, Anakin, in the sense that there was something there that was like the gasp, the gasp of a mythology. The dying breath of an idea that was by the people for the people. Um, I think the heroes that are going to be produced right now are the ones who stayed home from this event and have been rethinking long game changes for the sake of their grandchildren and great grandchildren's villages. Those men have already been produced by the word of God wherever they are right now. And whether they're seven years old or 50 years old, they know it. They feel it. They know it happened in the last month and a half. They're like, wait a minute. I thought COVID changed everything. When did I grow up? It's, uh, so that's where I'm at on this one. Um, the heroes are here. They're just not going to be LARPing with the idolatry of a joke. Reality TV government to keep you distracted while they build a global society. Uh, Yachty Prime G says this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist either. This is just all accident. People are just that dumb. That's what I think. Anyway, uh, what do you really? Um, what do you make of the moral radical Protestants who assert? Uh, Yada Prime says that seemingly without exception, Christians of other non-reformed, non-Protestant traditions like Rome or East aren't saved. Okay, let me say that question much shorter. What do I think about the idea that Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox are going to hell because they're not evangelicals, right? Because they're not um, Protestants. Um, I think that's nonsense. <laughs> I don't only hear confessions like really clear. So as a Lutheran pastor, I kind of have to think it's nonsense because I've, this is what it says and I've vowed to teach what it says. 
But I vow to teach what it says because I think it's what the Bible says. Uh, so what does it mean to be a Christian? If you're going to say anything other than believe in Jesus, being risen from the dead, crucified, born of a virgin, like all these fundamentals, right? The fundamentalists like have these things. They're, they're kind of the creed that isn't the creed. They stripped the creed down for some reason and called it the fundamentals and thought that would work better because they made it up new and took out, I don't know, baptism. Um, they did. Uh, so, but if you look at the fundamentals of what they say, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox pretty much are like, yeah, it's, it's mostly right. Yeah, yeah those are fundamentals. So I don't know how you get off saying they're not Christians. Now, with that said, within the umbrella of the ethnicities that are the Roman Catholic Church and the ethnicities that are the Eastern Orthodox and the ethnicities that are the Lutherans and the ethnicities that are all the other traditions because we tend to get together based on our ethnicities, which is weird and even maybe unchristian, but we do it. Um, all of them have people who are just there for the gravy. All of them do. And all of them have people who are there because they're a child of God and they don't know what they do, but God chose them. And they believe. Through the dross. That guy hanging on the cross, I believe in him. That guy hanging on the cross, you preached to me. I never get to see him, but you preached him to me. I, I, I believe in him. Right. I mean, is one right, one wrong? There is heterodoxy. There is there is watered down nonsense all over the place, especially now. You turn on and people teach whatever they want. I'm teaching whatever I want. <laughs> I am. Uh, what I want to teach is what I think the Bible says. And it's what a lot of other people, even in Rome, teach, although they have, again, trajectories, uh, areas of their belief about the Bible that can become these huge blind spots. Right. So where I believe that you can be a Roman Catholic and be a Christian, you can probably even be a Trentine Roman Catholic and be a Christian. I'm going to say that on Judgment Day, a lot of your words are going to get redefined to your benefit. And the fact that you believe in ex opera operata is going to work out pretty well in your favor, even though it's wrong. <laughs> because by the power of the word of God being present in your life, you're going to have believed in Jesus as the true God just enough to have everything you ever did burn away except your own body. Right. And then it's like, wow, okay, well, I guess I'm in paradise and I get to be, I'll go explore, you know, <laughs> I sit, Minecraft right away, go build a table. Uh, so I don't know how you can say that's not true of any Trinitarian body. I think you have to say it's not true of non-Trinitarian bodies, even if we find out later that God doesn't think that. Like if at Judgment Day, there's a Mormon who accidentally believed the Bible and not everything else they were ever told. Like we don't go around making decisions based upon that. So, so once you've rejected the Trinity creedal, uh, once you've rejected the resurrection, uh, you are you're just outside of, of that personally. And so a church body that does that, well then, you know, they really have left Christianity. Rome and the East have not left Christianity. They have a very old and then I would say clouded and covered over with dust made of sometimes evil things, Christianity. Um, I mean, really, the Pope, really? You're going to make me defend, like, saying the Pope's not great right now? Really? Who are you? Um, I find many of them, I mean, really, like, everyone's got to acknowledge this one guy, unless you're in the mafia, right? Uh, so, anyway, I find many of them seem to misunderstand or misrepresent certain Roman Eastern doctrine. Exactly. So the people who are making that case usually are just displaying their own ignorance of just about everything except for what they were told at their Baptist church where they grew up. Um it's just they, they have one thing and they've never been able to get out of it because, frankly, they were abused. You know, they were they were verbally assaulted and made to think that I can't do this or I'll be an evil person. And when you do that to a child, I mean, I, uh, that's that's rough. That's terrifying. It, it is Christianity and children should be about grace, uh, not uh, Java. I thought Java went away. It should be about grace, uh, not in the sense where licentiousness, you let them go. 
but in wherein all discipline is always founded upon that you are my son, right? You are my daughter, that there is no shame between us, that our blood is true, uh, that I will always forgive you. And, and that this is what Jesus has done for us, right? And that this is who we are as a people in the house. And that's just not the case, well, frankly, in a lot of church bodies. Um, so, uh, people grow up with certain ideas that usually they often hang on to the worst ideas of their mother religion out of some sort of God fear of their mother, uh, rather than really believe in what their religion teaches, which would get them a long way in many cases. Um, anyhow, so yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big wide tent. Um, uh, prime goes on to say, well, I don't think Christians should assert Marian dogma. <laughs> I think, uh, pray to the saints. Yeah. Or attribute special supernatural properties to icons. I don't think it's fair representation to call that idolatry. I actually do, but I'm a lot softer on idolatry than you. Um, I think you should keep yourself from idols. I think you won't. I think you should. I think you won't. And that's Johannine. Um, uh, without considering the nuance as many of them seem to do. So I, I consider the nuance. Um, I think that the prayer to the saints is incredibly misguided, though um, to say that it's damning would be a one-on-one -on -one issue that makes one judgment at one point in time over a lifetime, which God will judge based upon their baptism and whether they believe in it or not, right? And so um, I'm, I, I'm very comfortable saying that everything that we use as humans outside of Christ is an idol that we are always worshiping all the time. That is the definition of our posture, that you are kneeling and worshiping whether you admit it or not in every single moment. And either you're doing it as a saved Christian or you're not, right? Um, and so idolatry is just my misplacing of value, permanent value, upon temporal things that are in fact meant for the fire and have no value whatsoever. The moment I say it's my favorite cup, I have in fact committed idolatry. What if it breaks? Am I going to cry? Well, that would be idolatry as well because the Lord owns this cup and he will take it from me and break it whenever he feels like it. And I know that's going to happen someday unless he comes back quick. So again, um, eh, idolatry is a spectrum and the word and sacrament ministry is there to keep you within the holy proximity of God's forgiving your idolatry so you don't forget it and do it on purpose and get really evil, right? And you kind of get bound in by what we might call law and gospel. Um, so, um, yeah, idolatry. I mean, Luther was on this, right? The idol is whatever you fear, love, or trust. The idols, whatever you fear, love, or trust. And Calvin, sacramentarian, uh, who feared, love, and trust his reason above all things, uh, he nonetheless also says the human mind is an idol factory. And yeah, he was right. He was right. So, so going on, it's many Roman and Eastern brothers seem to be firm defenders of essential truths like the Trinity and when pressed can still articulate the gospel as being ultimately salvation through the atoning work of Christ on our behalf, even if it can be a bit cluttered. Correct. They are Catholic. And so that's the word, right? Rome is Catholic. Uh, even though they claim to be the only one, that's very uncatholic of them, but they remain Catholic as a kind of universally aware church body. And the East are Catholic in that regard. They're aware that there are other Christians, even if they're heterodox or technically kind of outside the visible church and all that kind of stuff. And we should kind of see that as something that Protestantism if it's going to be two things, I mean, if it's going to be one thing, then you need to get back on the sacraments, people. Otherwise, you have Lutheranism, uh, which is like gospel Catholicism. And then you have uh, Protestantism, which is sacramentarian gospelism, right? So uh, Calvin wants to remove the Lord's Supper's essence, a very modernist and flawed idea, which is rent the church in radical ways. I have a whole book about it called Without Flesh. I really recommend you read it. It's not that bad. It's really small even. So, um, but that said, uh, uh, 
all of these bodies, including Calvin, and all the way out until you get rid of the Trinity with T.D. Jakes and the Pentecostals, all the way out there, if you're still believing Jesus has risen from the dead and you're looking for him to come, all I'm going to do is try to strengthen your faith. That's all I ever want to do is try to strengthen your faith. I don't want to tell you why you're wrong. You probably are. Lots of ways. We have all sorts of ways we're wrong. I, I'm wrong about stuff. I mean, this shirt is, I mean, it's okay. You know, there's a gift. I like it. But like, it's wrong in some way, probably. Right? Why not? Why are we afraid of that? Um, why are we not able to acknowledge that even though, like this, this is a Lutheran thing, right? So we have the Augsburg Confession. We have the Formula of Concord. These are particularly glorious lights for understanding the history of dogmatic fights and the way to stand firm as a Christian and not go back on what the Bible says. That's a marvelous thing. Um, but do we need to therefore believe that we've never made any mistakes? Do we need to therefore be on a trajectory where we're unable to go backwards in time and undo really bad decisions that were made over the course of the last 100 years, 200 years? Can we challenge or question any topic that was taught in Peeper um, because we think he was wrong as long as it doesn't go against our confessions? I'm asking this honestly. Um, <clears throat> and we do. We always kind of do what we want, which is worse, actually, than, than really talking about it anyway. Um, so, yeah, Christianity is out there in all this mess. Catholic Christianity. Mad. Christianity. Uh, now, does that mean that there's right to be in the mess and you should be in the dirtiest, most obscure, overclouded, heretical church you can't? No. What are you doing? Follow me. Flee false teachers. I mean, it's not that tough. If your church is not faithful, you need a different one. It's Romans 16. Go check it out. It's, it's like, like, or else kind of talk. Huh? Uh, Yada Prime goes on. How much unnecessary and potentially harmful dross can one attach to the gospel before they are, so to speak, no longer on the ark of salvation? Well, that one's for God to know and us to find out on Judgment Day, right? That's where you just don't want to take the leaven that leavens the whole lump unseriously. So Rome is a particularly leavened lump. So great a leaven that we have for hundreds of years, not alone, considered it to be the office of the Antichrist himself, the man of lawlessness of Second Thessalonians, a visible picture of how not to be Christianity. However, we know that this uh, man of lawlessness takes his seat in the church. He's part of the real church. And so just because a man of lawlessness is in charge, you know, a pedophile moving international old money for the sake of this group of old men who are celibate in theory and just do what they were doing 500 years ago with all this and the sex trade and all this stuff. Like, like that reality doesn't make every Roman Catholic who takes the Lord's Supper at St. Athanasius, blessed grace alone by accident, and we even didn't mean to say it, but we did Catholic Church. Um like that person isn't necessarily condemned by the Pope's sin, especially they don't know about it. Right. So the felicitous inconsistency is the way the, the Lutherans have talked about this. I'm not sure that's my favorite way to talk about it. I think I just want to talk about Catholic Christianity and recognizing that while Lutherans say we have something to deliver to Catholic Christianity, which Rome has been dismissing for 500 years and we could bind us all together. It could unify us. It's called the Augsburg Confession. We have that. I don't think that that means that therefore we're the only right people. And certainly that therefore, if the LCMS or the Lutherans go away, the church will go away. They found the Augsburg Confession in the Bible. That's where it came from. So again, I, I, I put the stakes on the Bible. And if there's a problem with these other church bodies, again, it's always going to be where they don't believe what the Bible says. And Baptists are like, but we always believe in it. No, you don't. You just read five verses and then say them over and over again. Anyway, um, Jeff says this in <laughs> number I, uh, letter I here. Um, can you please quickly go over First John 5, 6, quickly? 5, 6, 12. What is with the blood? 
Uh, is this just above it? If this were just about water and spirit, this would easily point to baptism. I disagree. Uh, I know Luther talks about blood tinged baptismal water, but is that what this passage is talking about? No. Um, I hate to read baptism into something that I shouldn't, but you should because it is here. Um, <laughs> or is everything really about baptism? What do you mean by the word? Yes. Biblically speaking, give me, give me two sentences before you turn me out. Biblically speaking, the word baptizo means to be washed with water into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. You find every text that has baptism in it, you put them all together. You compare my definition. That's what it says. To wash with water into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so is everything actually about baptism? Is everything about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, does the washing with water have to always be there for it to be about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If I make the sign of the cross because I remember that I was baptized by water into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because in this moment I want to know that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that I'm part of his life, is that baptism? Yeah. But if you're a Baptist, it's not, right? Because for you, it's only like that one thing with the water once. Okay, so that's where the problem is, is, is you hear this word and you think I'm talking about just the water one time. I'm talking about Jesus. Like that Jesus is the washing of regeneration. Like he is that. And then the guy who is the washing of regeneration is like, do it like this. Put water on people. Say my name. (laughs) Okay, God. I I guess that's the washing of regeneration. This is Jesus' covenant. How How could the God of the old covenant who signed it with angel and blood and fire not seal a water based covenant that is the fulfillment of the flood with his own actual presence? I don't get it. I don't get the argument. I don't get why you would argue it. Because water can't do such great things. Who are. I turn the TV off. What do you mean water can't? Do you, have you ever studied water? Water is amazing stuff. And forget, forget the supernatural. Water is amazing stuff. Water covered this entire planet, like to the mountaintops. Water split open so that Jesus could walk through it. Well, I mean, well, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and then again, the Ark of the Covenant. Water healed Naaman of his leprosy. Water can do amazing things when Jesus gets involved with it. So I, I got no problem believing baptism is significantly larger than a one-time accidental event of obedience. As opposed to being a lifetime regeneration of faith. That to be washed with Christ is to be born from above into believing, okay? So everything is really about baptism because Christ has a baptism to undergo for you and how vexed he was until he completed it that he might give it to you. So don't deny that the cross is Christ's baptism. If you want to define the word, let that text where he says, I have a baptism to undergo and how vexed I am, let that word define baptism for me for you. Start there. What's he mean? Now, when you then get to John 5, 6 to 12, oh, give me a second, we'll get this one up here on the screen here. Uh, 1 John. Actually, hold on, do we have this? We got it here. Do, 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 do. Thanks for the great shows. Keep it up, he says. Um, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. John has a very awkward English translation, I think. Uh, it, it could be better. Um, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. 
For there are three that bear witness in, the he- in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That is an additional text, a variant text from later, third century, something like that. And uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, although I have no problem with what it says. I'm just not convinced that it has to be there. But certainly uh, in the context of baptism, the Father, Son, and Spirit, right, is, is kind of a thing. Um, but that's also why if you've if you got two ancient texts and one like just fits too easily and seems really complete and doesn't fit with the language of that author, like he doesn't really talk about Father, just say word, but Father, Word, and Spirit. I mean, that's just not John's way usually, right? So it's kind of like, okay, probably an addition of a monk. I don't know. It's fine. It's not untrue. In fact, it helps us understand what's going on uh, a little bit. But continuing on uh, with the spirit being truth from verse six and then verse eight. And this is not people make this argument, you know, you're taking verses of the Bible away. Those verses were added after the text was added. And we have older manuscripts that don't have the text with no verses in them whatsoever. So, you know, ignorance is is not bliss. Um, Verse eight. And there were three. There are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Now, the, the comparison of heaven and earth there is interesting because that is a very biblical way of talking. Um, so I, I, I never looked at that before. Uh, who knows? Uh, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. God is within you. That's pretty cool. Uh, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this is, this life is in his son circles. You got the circles yet? Uh, he has, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Okay. So we maybe got one a little farther than we needed to in terms of, uh, the water, the blood and the spirit. But let me, let me start this way. John wrote revelation first, second, third, John and the gospel of John. He has a way of speaking that, although he doesn't usually use Father, Word, and Spirit quite like that, I won't go into that again, um, he does use water and blood a whole lot. (laughs) So you just track water, blood, and then add Spirit in and track it through John and Revelation. Go do that one as a project in English. See what you find. It'd be fun. Um, So you have that. Now, if you do that in John, you're going to find water and blood permeate this thing and that the Spirit you don't know where he goes or where he comes, but he's with the water, right? usually, right? And he's also with the blood, I think, uh, later. Uh, God, is, Christ gives up his spirit. So, but this is this is that moment too. So at the moment where Christ gives up his spirit in John, what happens? His side is pierced and outflows what? Water and blood. So you have spirit, water, and blood on earth in Christ right then agreeing as a final testimony. And he who is there saw it and testifies. He even puts an extra like emphasis in there to say that water and blood flow out of Jesus separately at the cross as his as his ghost came up. So you have that reality that can be what he's talking about here. But then it's hard to miss that the rest of the Gospel of John seems to imply that water and blood have a greater reality. Like you have to actually be born again with water. Like you have to actually eat flesh and blood. Which, being a much later Gospel, has resonance with the water and blood that exist in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in which you're to be baptized, in which you're to feast on in the Lord's Supper. And so, because the Spirit is the truth who witnesses to us and now has left us the word of God in the Holy Scriptures. I mean, I'm, I'm fast forwarding the argument here a little bit. You know, I'm assuming you're a Christian and don't need me to tie every knot together for you, but it's pretty easy at that point then. So Christ who came to you by baptism and the supper, Christ not only by baptism, but also by baptism and the supper. And it is 
the spirit who bears the scriptures because the scriptures are the truth. There are three that bear witness on earth, the scriptures and the baptism and the supper. And these three agree as one. That's how I would understand that text. And what it's saying is that Catholic Christianity, word and sacrament, word and the stuff Jesus said to do, which he said was also a gift of grace and a supernatural fulfilling of our adoption and completion and fellowship with him, uh, that those things are not counter to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, according to Christ's word and Christ's work alone. In fact, it would seem they agree, John says. So if you're going to come along and say material things can't save people, like say the Gnostics might have done in John's day, <laughs> you know, he might say, no, 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 no. I was there. I saw the water, the blood, and the spirit. And I know what it means. And now be baptized. Now here, take and eat. And now die and let your spirit go to rest in Christ. Now be put back in on the last day. I think that's what this means. I also have dealt with some of this uh, section in, I think it's first John 4 a little more in my book Without Flesh, which was brought up earlier today uh, in regard to the Lord's Supper. And so I, I go into how Christ is coming and has come. And that language there, which is tied to the water, blood thing. I do think I have a couple pages or at least mentioned the water, blood, and spirit there. There's also a great hymn, Water, Blood, and Spirit, crying by their witness, testifying to the one whose death-defying life has come with life for all. That's Stephen Starkey. You can find that hymn in the Lutheran Service book and not many other places, but got a great trumpet voluntary that leads into it too if you if you go look for that. So speaking of... CPH, Concordia Publishing House, my church buddy's publishing house. Hi, Pastor Fisk. How can we get your books in audio form? Do we need to petition CPH? Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> they own it. They own it. And so, you know, they've talked about Audible. I've, I've answered this question before, too. They've talked about Audible in the past. Um, the ability to have the author do it uh, was not possible. I mean, they wanted to have authors do it. And then from my end, the remuneration, it wasn't just merely um, not enough. It just was, it just was not realistic. Uh, it's just, you know, um, and so if I had all the time in the world, uh, to just give away, right. Which beyond what I'm already doing, right. Uh, what I think they're moving toward now is professional readers, which I, I think is a wiser decision. Um, they'll be able to move much more quickly across all their stuff with that. Um, uh, I know that people would like to hear the author's voice, but you don't get that in most you know, bestsellers. So why should we expect it from, from a small time, uh, publishing house, which they are. Um, and you know, they are, uh, so I agree the books would be great in audio format. Um, and thank you for buying and reading all the books. I appreciate that as well. Um, bah, 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 bah. I'm going to go ahead and say this here right now because we've got CPH on the line. Not that they're on the line, but I know that um, the <laughs> I don't say they're like Hydra because I don't like them, um, but it's, they do have like heads everywhere. Uh, but here's the thing, CPH. I want you to know something. I want you to know that my most recent book, Talk Them Into It, which can be bought on Amazon.com in both paper and digital form, but can also be gotten entirely for free by signing up for my newsletter, Mad Mondays at redfist.com slash newsletter, is put into the Creative Commons. What that means, Concordia Publishing House, please, are you listening? You can take my book, my book that I have fully written, that I will never sign a contract with you on. You can take it, put your own cover on it, undersell me on Amazon, with my name on it, and I'm cool with it because that's what Creative Commons means. I don't have to work through you to publish my book, but if you want to make free money on another book I wrote, like the other three you published, you can just take this one. And you can even edit it. You can even cut stuff out. You just can't add anything. And you can't say it's not my work. Isn't that cool? I want to help. I really do. Like, from the beginning. 
uh, from the beginning. I really do. So there you go. Audio format would be amazing. I completely understand that. Hopefully that's what I'm giving you with this channel, with the Brief History of Power podcast with Pastor Kuntz, and with that Stop the White Noise podcast. Hey, if you've got a line on an alt podcast host that is not overly expensive and promises, at least at the moment, not to pull the carpet out from you because you happen to be a patriarchalist, biblically speaking, um, send us a line at redfist.com or tell us in the Mad Christian Discord about it because Podbean was sort of an offhanded thing I did once long ago, and I'm just not sure it's the future. It Definitely, we're going to hold on to it for the sake of a brief history of power. We're going to try to back up as much of the content as we can, but when we launch uh, Stop the White Noise, Brief History of Power will continue, but Stop the White Noise, um, uh, the other podcast with my wife, Meredith, uh, I want to I put that somewhere else so it's just not all in the same place, and we'll probably move some of the sermons over to that new one at that point. Uh, so that if we happen to have anybody who's not a Christian listening to Brief History of Power, they don't have to hear my sermons uh, all the time coming through. Uh, so, uh, yeah, put that where it is. If, if you have information on a good host for podcasts, and particularly one that would be willing, I mean, is there one where they'll go and they'll grab the information and pull it over? Like, that'd be really cool. The internet is a mess, let me tell you. And I am not going to be the one to organize it. I will not do that. I think we're coming to the end of the day. You know what? I'm missing one, though. I know there was one more. Oh, I know what it is. Hold on. I took a picture of it. Mm -mm -mm. So it's going to be in the trash. And then it's going to be... Hmm. This one came from Patreon. Patreon is my financial... What? The way we do it. Mm, I thought I took a screenshot. Mm Mm-mm. Ah, it was a great little note from someone. They had just signed up uh, five bucks a month, which is more or less how most of you do it over there. Um, do, do, do. I'm not going to find it. <clears throat> but what was cool about it, along with just saying like they've been around a long time and they're looking forward to, to supporting and, and being on the team and all that and hopefully finding Mad Christian Discord and, and all that, Mad Mondays, was they called me Shepherd. They called me Shepherd. Now, I wrote this this morning at prayer before I saw the letter they sent me where they said, hey, we call you Shepherd Fisk or Shepherd Jonathan or something like that at, at our house. I thought, huh. I've been thinking about the word pastor a lot recently. And the reason I wrote this this morning is because I realized, like, if you really want to know what your pastor is, that is it. That word will do it. King won't do it. Prophet won't do it. Priest won't do it. Shepherd will do it. Um, pastor... It's not It's not the same anymore. Right? It doesn't mean shepherd. Try saying shepherd to your pastor. See what happens. Try thinking of it that way. Don't say it to him. He'll throw him off. Uh, try thinking about it that way. I don't know. I remember, uh, you know, what was it? Uh, lightning bug. It wasn't lightning bug. <laughs> it's, a movie, it's a TV show about a spaceship that was like a lightning bug. Oh, for pity's sakes. You guys know what I'm talking about already. You're screaming at me. I can hear you. Um, and there was even a reason I brought that up. Oh, Shepard. Yeah, yeah. So they have, they have like this chaplain who, who flies around Western space with them and like, like cowboy Western space. And uh, he's pretty cool. He, and by the end of it, by the movie, he's got like dreadlocks and everything. But they call him Shepard. He wears a clerical, blue one, you know, Methodist kind of thing, um, liberal United Churches kind of thing, um, inner city. And uh, but call me Shepard. I always like that. I always like that. So I don't know. I don't know. Think about it. Pray about it. We need some words that make them sense them. And in our day and age, when you can be Pastor Joel Olstein. I don't know. I don't know that it's really quite the same. I don't know. It's, it seems like a different kind of thing to me, perhaps. Yes, yes maybe perhaps. Hey, um, it is the end of my morning. I'm going to go and 
I don't know, breathe. I realized this as I was setting up for the show this morning. I realized this. You cannot get off the computer and not be stressed out. It's impossible. And I know this because I have been off the computer and less stressed out recently. And when I come back, even if it's like 10 minutes, I come off, I'm like, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? And it's like, wait, 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 wait. So here's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to step away. I'm just going to breathe for at least 30 seconds. Like when I'm done, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to breathe because I'm tired of being blue lighted into chaos. So let me suggest, let me suggest to you that after you're done with the show, before you go click and point and push and go, and you can continue the conversation on Mad Christian Discord, by the way, they have a channel for that now. Um, Before you do all that, take a moment, open your Bible, find that Psalm 119 and just read those first eight verses. They all start with Aleph in the Hebrew. So it's really cool in the Hebrew. It doesn't quite come off in the English, but nonetheless, the English says what you're longing heart, mind, and spirit need to breathe. Yeah. Uh, This has been the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. I am the Mad Christian. We are not afraid. Jesus Christ is our God, and so we are glad to stand upon the ruins of the world and not not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Hallelujah. We'll catch you all on the next side. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?